Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. Context of white supremacy. Justice, Gus T. Renegade, in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Sunday, November 23rd, 2014. So I have been told uh, we will be back tomorrow. Normal broadcast time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, We'll give an update on that uh, once we get to the end of the broadcast. Remind folks we are fundraising. Uh, Hopefully folks will invest. If they've gotten any constructive information from the cows, uh, you can hit the blog racism-notes.blogspot.com. Racism-notes.blogspot.com. Uh, You'll see the PayPal button in the top right corner. Uh, If you're not in the PayPal, drop us an email and we can get you a physical mailing address if you would like to invest and keep the broadcast rolling. Uh, Thanks to all of the folks who have supported us down through the years. Uh, We are encroaching on six years uh, that we have been on the air, hopefully contributing, offering some constructive input Uh, to what racism is, how it works, and what we can do to counter the system of racism and produce justice. That being said, uh, with everything that has been talked about over the last month or so uh, from what is happening in Ferguson, uh, the allegations against Bill Cosby, a myriad of other things that are happening. Daniel Holtzclaw, uh, the officer in Oklahoma, uh, who has been charged and will be going to trial next year, uh, facing more than 30 counts for sexually terrorizing 13 black females. Uh, We thought it would be outstanding to have our guest with us once again. This is her 25th time uh, visiting the cows. Uh, We are always super grateful that she can share a bit of her time and expertise uh, with us. She is a third generation physician, general and child psychiatrist, uh, author of the ISIS papers, The Keys to the Colors. Uh, I think folks have seen her uh, in Tariq Nasheed's documentaries, uh, Hidden Colors. Uh, Just phenomenal pleasure to have her on the program. And we're always excited to hear from us, uh, to hear from her. Uh, Joining us once again, our guest, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. Dr. Welsing, are you with us? Yes, I am. Glad to be with you. Pleasure is ours. Thank you so much. I know it's tons of our listeners from all over the world. They really appreciate uh, hearing from you and just want to give you thanks uh, for all of the work that you've done down through the years and uh, being so gracious with your time and energy speaking to us and all the other interviews uh, that you do with folks to try to help solve the problem of racism. Uh, How are you doing this evening, Dr. Welsing? I'm doing fine, LeVar, doing quite well. Right on, right on. Um, To start off, I mean, there were so many things to discuss, uh, but then I was checking the news, I think, right when we went off the air uh, yesterday evening, I saw the report that four-term mayor of Washington, D.C., 
uh, Marion Barry, uh, passed away. And I know you are a longtime Washington, D.C. resident. Um, what are your thoughts given his recent transition? Well, I think um, even though everyone has known that uh, Mayor Barry has had uh, health issues in the last uh, several years, but uh, no one anticipated that uh, he would be departing at this particular time. So Washington, D.C. is in a state of sadness. He's an individual uh, who made many, many, many major contributions to the city and to the lives of black people. Uh, people say that uh, he built a large segment of the black middle class in Washington, D.C., that uh, many of the persons have moved into Prince George's County in Maryland, but still he lifted up the opportunities of many black people. So he is an individual, despite some of the human frailties or difficulties that he had, he remained loyal to helping black people and not a person greedy about money. But uh, his the, the direction of his functioning and thinking was really to stay on course, helping black people from the time that he was in the civil rights movement in the 1960s in the South. So we will definitely miss him, but we should be ourselves empowered by the, you know, studying his life, studying the contributions that he made, learning from his efforts and enhancing our efforts in the continuation in the process of black people achieving justice, not only in this area of the world, but throughout the world. Mm. What uh, is your comment? I know just checking around online, a lot of uh, folks uh, basically are kind of focusing on his uh, arrest uh, for drug charges uh, in the early 90s and really focusing on that to kind of uh, make a, an, an, a really just harmful caricature uh, of him and, and kind of bashing black people. Uh, what would your response to that be to say, hey, this is some uh, person who was doing drugs while he was a politician and he's supposed to be helping folks out and this guy's just doing drugs and alcohol and, and criminal activity? Well, I would, I would say this in the words of Neely Fuller Jr., if you do not understand white supremacy racism, as a system, what it is and exactly how it works. Everything else that uh, you think you understand will only confuse you. And for those people who understand racism, white supremacy, which is war against black people in general and black male persons in particular, we can put that kind of focusing in uh, perspective. We can we can really begin to understand because we have an all-out attack. We can start with the attack on Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, to the attack on other black male persons, and to the, we can say the attack on uh, Bill Cosby 
and I'm not in any way excusing his behavior and one would <clears throat> have to accept the people who are coming forward and making charges against him but it's you know find a male and criticize him at this time and so I'm looking at it in that perspective I mean uh, you know, it's not only, uh, excuse me, it's not only Bill Cosby, but it's Tiger Woods, any, any black male that they can pull on the screen and, uh, criticize in some way. I feel that it puts up a smoke screen so they don't have to focus on Officer Wilson, uh, Lorraine Wilson in Ferguson. So it's business as usual, and we should expect these things. And as I was listening to the television earlier and thinking now of all the womanizing that President John F. Kennedy engaged in when they mentioned his name, that's not the first or the second or the 50th thing that people focus on. They try to find something constructive to say about him and for that matter any of the other uh, white politicians so again if we understand racism white supremacy we can put some of that type of focusing in perspective mm. well said well said um, before I guess you kind of already alluded to some of the important things uh, that we want to talk about as well but uh, before we get to Ferguson and Bill Cosby, some of those other issues, um, I know some of our listeners, uh, they were aware and proud to hear uh, that you were recently celebrated uh, down at Florida A&M University. Um, they had a report uh, at San Francisco Bay. Uh, it's online. You all can check it out. San Francisco Bay View. Uh, and it's uh, the National Conference on African Black Psychology. Uh, this is towards the end of October. Uh, just to give a, a quick snippet to kind of get your thoughts on what happened at this ceremony where you were honored. Uh, they write, uh, just got back from the National Black Psychology Conference, uh, October 24th through the 25th uh, this year at Florida A&M University, where Dr. Francis Cress Welsing's pioneering work on the disease of white supremacy was recognized. In the five years of FAMU has honored scholars on their contributions to African black scholarship, Dr. Cress Welsing is the first woman so named. Known for her collection of essays and lectures, the ISIS papers, the keys to the colors, it was so wonderful listening to clinicians, students, and colleagues present profound readings of Dr. Francis Cress Welsing's work and its impact on their scholarship, whether that was the dynamic work of Dr. Monifa Sewell, forensic psychiatrist at Georgia Regional Hospital and assistant professor of psychiatry at the Morehouse School of Medicine. Uh, they go on to list some of the other folks in some of the papers uh, that they read, but one congratulations, well earned. Uh, and what uh, what can you tell us about the event where you were recognized? Well, it was uh, quite a surprise to me that uh, you know you work and you develop ideas and develop your thinking, and you hope that it will help in in our struggle, in our effort to bring justice to the planet in our different areas of expertise. And so you work, but you are not necessarily thinking. I guess you're hoping that uh, 
what you have to say it has validity but you are not always aware that it is really having or being taken very seriously by other people so when you find out that it has been helpful to other people as they think about the problems we face as black people uh, of course I'm quite honored that that has taken place so it was a very impressive conference and uh, Florida A&M University and their Department of Psychology would have to be one of the most important in this area of the world insofar as we as black people are concerned because they have thinkers that are thinking from a black perspective and thinking, I mean, of course, being conversant in the field as a whole, but focusing specifically as well on what has happened to black people over the centuries and the kinds of things that need to be done in furthering our uh, efforts to, again, to bring justice to this planet. So it was a very, very meaningful, quite unexpected uh, event for me, but I was inspired and encouraged to keep up my work. Here, here. Uh, I'm sure many of the folks uh, listening in would second that. And uh, again, congratulations. Well earned. Uh, glad to hear that that took place. Um, I guess to to get to uh, some of your work that has led to that sort of recognition uh, with the allegations uh, focusing on Bill Cosby, uh, particularly these allegations of a uh, sexual nature. Uh, I'm reminded, I think this has happened pretty frequently, uh, Herman Cain and Tiger Woods, but these allegations uh, of sexual misconduct on the part of Bill Cosby, black male, uh, what are your thoughts on what you've seen, what's been reported thus far, and, and how does this relate to the system of white supremacy? Well, you know, I would, I would have to say this that the population that classifies itself as white is in a very poor position to go on and on and on and on focusing on the sexual misconduct, so-called, of black people and black men in particular, because the system of racism, white supremacy, which is 500 years old, was founded upon the sexual abuse of black men and black women. And one of the tragic things about the system of racism, white supremacy, is that people who classify themselves as white have little or no self-insight. They have no awareness, I mean, no conscious awareness, uh, or they engage in great denial about their own behavior. See, where they too really hold a mirror up to themselves and focus on what we have done in establishing a system of racism, white supremacy on this planet 
in a major aspect of that system, certainly in its phase of formal enslavement of black people, of African people, was sexual abuse. Many of the early presidents were slaveholders, sexual abusing slaveholders, Thomas Jefferson, sexually abusing Sally Hemings, fathering children by her. So they are really not the persons who should be laboring and going on and on talking about sexual abuses on the part of black people. And not to mention everything that we have learned in the last half century about the sexual abuse of children that has taken place in the Catholic Church. And most of these being white male persons sexually abusing male children of all colors. So the very fact that um, it's, uh, well, it, it's almost like some of the dynamic that took place in the case of Bill Cosby, where he would focusing and pointing the finger at black people in their behavior, but at the same time shouldering and being aware or perhaps being haunted by some aspects of his own behavior. But to make the point again, people who classify themselves as white can ill afford to go on and on and on and on about sexual abuse of sexual abuse by the black men that whose names have come up recently. Wow. Uh, just with that response, uh, this is this was in the BBC this week. This didn't get nearly as much attention uh, as Mr. Cosby garnered. Uh, but uh, the report is titled Organized Child Sex Abuse Widespread in England. Uh, this was, like I said, front page BBC uh, just in the last couple of days organized child sex abuse. So this is lots of people being involved, uh, as well as the New York Times. They released their documentary this week uh, on Jerry Sandusky uh, and the whole scandal that came out in 2011 at uh, Penn State. It's called Happy Valley. Uh, and they didn't even focus on Jerry Sandusky. They just focused on the school and how they responded. And they showed hordes, not one or two or a handful, but they just showed large numbers of white people who were very upset uh, at anyone even trying to suggest that Joe Paterno, white male, former coach, he's now deceased, uh, was enabling uh, Jerry Sandusky to rape these children at Penn State and other staff members who knew about this and didn't do anything and let this go on for decades uh, at Penn State. They were furious uh, and defended these white people, uh, even in death, continued uh, to defend them and would get viciously upset with anyone who tried to suggest anything bad about these folks. All of this just came out this week, and I didn't hear nearly as much attention and uh, jumping up and down and focusing on these specific things as opposed to what happened with Bill Cosby. Um, just with with the timing of these allegations coming out, because I think a lot of these reports, I, I've heard many folks say that they've heard rumors, they've heard allegations 
about Bill Cosby uh, for years. Uh, there was just a big biography uh, done on Bill Cosby and the Cosby show that came out, I think, about two months ago. And they asked the biographer, well, why didn't you touch on the sexual allegations that have been that have come up against Mr. Cosby over the years? And he said, well, I didn't really want to get into that because I couldn't substantiate it. I didn't know about that, but I just didn't think it would be correct to include that in the bi uh, biography. And this just came out within the last couple months. Uh, what are your thoughts on the timing of this coming out right now with Bill Cosby and everything happening in Ferguson? Well, as I, as I said earlier, I think that uh, the country, if not the entire world, is focusing on uh, Ferguson, Missouri, and the murder of um, teenager Michael Brown by a white police officer. Is it Daryl Wilson? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And so instead of... The, everyone's attention being focused sharply on is Daryl Wilson, Officer Daryl Wilson, going to be charged for the crime of murder of the young black male. Uh, the focus has been shifted and flipped. So let's not focus on the bad white male. Let's focus on bad black men. And so that's, that's, that's what I see taking place. And interestingly enough, I think uh, this week, this past week or this weekend, uh, the University of Virginia, I believe, has closed its, uh, down its fraternities because of sexual abuse or rape that has taken place. And so all of the fraternities, I believe it's the University of Virginia, uh, all of the fraternities have been closed down, and I understand that that is taking place on other college campuses, and these are uh, predominantly white institutions. So the, we could be focusing on that, and think about the Democratic Party, and uh, everyone is focusing on Hillary Clinton possibly running for president, for the Democratic Party in 2016, in which case Bill Clinton will be going back into the White House uh, with all of his history of sexual abuse and sexual abuse in the Oval Office. So um, if, if people who classify themselves as white would have the courage to look in the mirror and look at their own behavior, not only would it be a healthier thing for them, but it would be a healthier thing for the world if they would be focusing on, well, let us focus on ourselves. Let's focus on the 500-year history of our behavior in establishing a system of racism, white supremacy, and what have we as white people done in the arena of sex, sexual behavior in the 500 years of this history. That would be a very healthy thing. It would be like a uh, drug addict confronting the fact, I am addicted to drugs. And that would be the first stage of the person beginning to heal. Yeah, absolutely. I have said before, UVA, that is uh, my alma mater. Uh, and I did see that report yesterday. And the CNN report, they didn't say it was rape. They said it was 
gang rape uh, that led to this. Okay. Which, uh, I mean, wow. Uh, I mean, one person, uh, that would be heinous enough, but I mean, that just further intensifies these allegations uh, that happened here at UVA. Um, with regards, in terms of this coming up to kind of shift attention, uh, I'd said yesterday, uh, Mr. Neely Fuller Jr., uh, he was with us uh, in 2011, and we were talking about the execution of Troy Davis, uh, black male. This was in 2011. Uh, and he said that white people are very good at shifting your attention uh, where you might be focused on, uh, let's say, thing number one. And they'll shift your attention and get you focusing on thing number 51. Uh, and I said, I think that we might have been witnessing that, that this week, not just with the incident with Bill Cosby, but it was a lot of other things where they got you distracted and talking about black males, black people in general behaving badly. Uh, they had Al Sharpton uh, on the front page of the New York Times on Wednesday. And uh, the tone of the report was basically suggesting that he was the greatest tax cheat in the history of the world. Uh, and they had uh, black male Adrian Peterson. He's an NFL football player where he's been suspended for the rest of the year for abusing his child. Uh, they had Michelle Obama, where she got fussed at, where they were very upset about uh, her campaign for the school lunch programs. And they had all these children who were saying they were upset and hated what the schools were serving now. And it just it just went on and on and on. Uh, Bill de Blasio, his he's married to a black female and they went after her aide and saying that she was uh, she had a boyfriend who had this long criminal record and she shouldn't have been there. And how did she get this high position? And they made her uh, take a leave of absence, indefinite leave of absence. Uh, from her post, uh, it just seemed like a long litany uh, of attention on back black people behaving poorly. Um, what type of effect does that have when you just get hit with these images over and over and over again in terms of eroding sympathy and how people will think about what happens in Ferguson? Well, again, I think uh, it's shifting the blame and whether or not it's being motivated because Many people, uh, certainly many black people, and I'm certain that there are many people who classify themselves as white, who are thinking that uh, Officer Wilson is not going to be charged. And so, every you know, all the attention is saying, as I said before, it's not the white male who is bad. Look at all of these bad black people. You see, and we didn't mention how President Obama is being scourged in the news every day. Just negative, 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 negative comments about him nonstop every single day. That's the first thing you can anticipate hearing in the media. There's something negative about President Obama. Again, bad black male, bad black male, bad black people, bad black people. And I think that what is very, very, very important is that as black people, we do not have, um, we don't have a, shall I call it a, a unified narrative. You see, we keep focusing, if we were focusing as black people, if we were focusing by saying we know that we are in a system of racism, white supremacy, and these are the things that we can anticipate happening 24-7. 
You see, as long as we are focusing and thinking we are in a democracy, then we keep scratching our heads and saying, well, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? If we were focusing on, we understand we are in a system of racism, white supremacy. The system of racism is most fundamentally about is white genetic survival and preventing white genetic annihilation. Because of this, there has to be a continuous attack on black male persons by any and all means necessary, inclusive of killing black males at will. See, if we were focused in that way and we articulated that, instead of, you know, you have a large number of black people who do not want to focus on racism. And this is why the Attorney General Eric Holder said, are we a nation of cowards being unable to focus on and talk about racism? See, if we were talking about racism in a comprehensive way, and if we were saying that we understand, see, it's, it's like the white people go on and on and on talking negatively about black people in general, black men in particular, and we don't have a checkmating response uh, overall. I mean, people like yourself, of course you do, because you are one of the courageous few that has a program where racism, uh, white supremacy is being talked about. But on the whole, uh, most black people are not talking about racism and are fearful of talking about racism because of fear of white retaliation. And uh, this is what I feel that uh, it's the most important thing that we need to have a breakthrough. And this is a golden opportunity at this particular point in time when all of these things are happening. Uh, had you heard that there was a 12-year-old black male child that was shot and killed by police officers yesterday? Uh, in Cleveland, I think his name is. In Cleveland. Rice. Yes, ma'am. You see, they said he had a toy gun. Mm-hmm. Now, what people ought to be looking at is there are almost no white people that have just been shot and killed by black police officers. None. So this ought to say to us, wait a minute, we need to be saying, why is this happening? And I would say beyond police officers need training. They have training. They don't shoot white people, but they are shooting black people and shooting black men, black children. So I say the reason is is because when the white collective looks at black men, they see enemy of the state enemy of the state of racism, white supremacy, enemy of the state for white genetic survival. And so this, the problem needs to be elevated to that level of discussion. And see, that I believe that begins to put a break on the behavior of white people. 
as long as we don't let the mirror reflect back, we understand exactly why you have to engage in this behavior. It's not a mystery. Do you see that you can go to the discussion of Norm Stamper if you have to get a white source who, in his book, Breaking Rank, talked about how white police officers are trained to think about black men. So if we could elevate our discussion from the black side of the chessboard, we will be making increments, in my view, we will be making increments of progress. But as long as we don't want to call racism white supremacy for what it is and indicate that we understand in depth what this system is really all about and its absolute necessity to kill black men. See, that's like somebody going to the psychiatrist and having the psychiatrist explain to the person who's engaging in mass murder. These are the subconscious and conscious dynamics that are going on with you that are causing this kind of behavior. And, and this is, to me, that would be a PowerPoint for black people if we were to begin doing that, as opposed to why is it happening and just thinking that, oh, the police officers need more training. They have enough training so that they don't go around shooting white men and they don't go around shooting white children. So they have training. It's what is the underlying thought in the total system of racism, white supremacy, local, national, global. So that's where I would like to see our discussion go. Absolutely. Uh, and the 12-year-old that Dr. Welsing just mentioned again, uh, they released his name today, uh, Tamir Rice. Uh, and this happened uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, just uh, a few miles down the road from John Crawford, who was shot earlier this year uh, in August, just a few days before Michael Brown uh, shot in Walmart uh, holding an air rifle, a BB gun, not, you know, any type of military weapon, just a BB gun. And uh, they gunned him down, killed him on camera in Walmart. No one indicted, no one going to trial, uh, just, whoops, our bad, another dead uh, black male. Um, I did want to get in because I know M1, he's brought this case up regularly. It just further emphasize your point. Uh, Detective Joseph Walker, uh, he is a black and for was a black enforcement official. Uh, he shot and killed a white male uh, who was some sort of road rage incident where they called him a nigger and all this other stuff and threatened his family. And he ended up shooting and killing him. Uh, they removed him from duty and he still hasn't got his job back. Uh, his case went to trial. He was acquitted. Uh, it was found that this was a justified shooting and he still has not got his job back just to kind of further solidify the point that you're making about. You just don't see these type of rash of shootings uh, of white people. Um, there was also a shooting on uh, Thursday of this week in New York where an unarmed black male was shot and killed uh, in a dimly lit uh, stairwell. And in the stairwell. Yes, ma'am. Yes. 
And I just I wanted to get your response to this uh, comment. Uh, this was from the mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, uh, who is married to a black female. Uh, he was commenting the victim in this case, uh, Akai Gurley. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. Uh, he was unarmed, shot and killed. Uh, but the mayor said, and this is in quotes, this was in the New York Times. Uh, I think when people see a tragedy, of course, it pains them. And it reminds us that we have a lot of work to do, Mr. de Blasio said. Still, he said each of the recent deaths involving the police from Staten Island, Eric Garner, to Ferguson, Michael Brown, has its own dynamics. And he warned against linking them all together. What are your thoughts on that statement from Mayor de Blasio? I would say that that's a tragic mistake in that, uh, well, let me just leave it at that. I think that that's a tragic error. Now, here's a white male who's married to a black woman who has a black son. And if he doesn't have any more insight than that, time after time after time after time, if you see white police officers shooting and killing black males, and then you say, don't link them all together. This is, a, this is not a form of correct thinking. I mean, that's the one thing that all of these cases have in common. That's how you begin to understand things, when you see the same thing happening over and over and over again. I wouldn't be surprised if, as we are speaking, it's happening someplace. And for sure, it is going to happen again and again until the problem is specifically addressed. See, that's like the problem of diabetes is going to go on and on and on and on until people begin to understand, well, what is causing this epidemic of diabetes. See, you don't see case after case after case of diabetes and say, well, there's no connection. You see, but we have to, as black people, we have to find the courage to speak up and say this is racism, white supremacy. We have all too many black people oh, no, I don't think that we should be talking about racism and playing the race card. Our 500-year history in this part of the world has been based on race. Everything that happens to us is based on race. Black people are not living the lives of white people. I don't care how much money they have. Absolutely. And just like President Obama said, if he had a son, it could have been Trayvon, I mean, it would be Trayvon Martin. And, and Mr. de Blasio, shame on him. And shame on the black mother if she lets Mr. de Blasio get away with it. White males are not being shot and killed in New York. It's black males, black people of color. And black people are the target because we have the greatest level 
genetic potential to cause white genetic annihilation, which is why Norm Stamper can say the police officers, the white police officers, are motivated to harm the darker the black man. So, again, our self-respect, you know, I do a lot of talking about the importance of self-respect. And our self-respect should motivate us to insist that we get to the bottom of, get an understanding in depth about why we are seeing what we are seeing. See, even the immigration issue is related to racism. The system of racism, white supremacy, and this is not against the Hispanic people as such. The Hispanic people are being brought in as black people are being pushed out of the urban centers. Everything is related to race. And this is why all people of color learn, if you're black, get back, brown, stick around, yellow, mellow, white, white. And that's the color scale, the genetically determined color scale for white genetic survival. The less color you have, the greater, the lesser the threat. The less threat, less color. More color, more threat. More genetic power to cause white genetic annihilation. And I say this has a lot to do with why President Obama is systematically attacked, because he represents sitting right there in the White House, coming to the podium to speak. He is an example, a first-degree example of white genetic annihilation. His mother's white, his father was a black man. A black man from Kenya. A crystal black man from Kenya. And you don't see anything white in President Obama. Because white is a genetic recessive state. A genetically vulnerable state. It's a mutation from black. So if we don't take the discussion to that level, I believe it's going to be uh, catastrophic for us as black people. I mean, we need to open up the discussion and insist upon the issue of racism, white supremacy being put on the table front and center. And we really should be demanding that President Obama, instead of running away from it, that he has to face up to it. As I listen to President Obama speak about immigration and all the things that he wanted to see happen for the Hispanic immigrants who come and work hard and he wants them to have education and health care and housing and be able to achieve the so-called American dream. I would like to see President Obama come and speak so forthrightly about what he wants to see 
for black people because he understands black people have been confronted with racism, white supremacy, since they were brought to these shores. I have a question I want to get in on that I just want to make sure I include, because uh, you always talk about that this is a local, national, global system, racism, white supremacy, and that we should be saying that this is uh, terrorism uh, that is being waged against black people worldwide, uh, just so that people don't think that this is something uh, exclusive to Ferguson or New York or Cleveland. Uh, NPR did a report uh, on racism in Brazil uh, in the last 10 days. Uh, for folks who listened to our Saturday program, you heard this last Saturday. Uh, but the report ended. They were talking about police violence against black people in Brazil. And the report ended. They said there is a saying that black meat is cheaper. People don't get shocked to see a dead black person because the person in their minds can be linked to crime, he says. And in Brazil, if a person is linked to a crime, then he can be killed. Uh, uh, this person speaking is Nilson Bruno Filho. Hope I'm saying his name correctly. He's an Afro-Brazilian. Uh, Filho says that there is a two-tiered system in Brazil based on skin color. He says Brazil has one of the most brutal and prolonged periods of slavery in the Americas. In a way, it wasn't so long ago. I think some people still see blacks as a thing, he says. It's still a reality in our country. We have a long path ahead. Uh, this was from just last Saturday reporting in Brazil. Uh, so folks don't think that this is just something exclusive to uh, the United States. Um, the commentary that you gave about uh, President Obama in terms of him coming out this weekend, the immigration reform issue uh, and him talking about what he wanted to see to help out uh, undocumented so-called Latinos. Uh, there would be a lot of black people who would say, hey, I have never heard President Obama come out and speak that forcefully and devote a whole talk uh, to just talking about black people and saying, I want to help out black people and do something to help out black people. We've been here a long time and we've worked really hard and we've had a lot of barriers to overcome. I've never heard him do that. Uh, President Obama is just not looking out for black people. Uh, and he seems to be going along with the system of racism, white supremacy and, you know, shame on him. We shouldn't be supportive of him either. Uh, what would your response to that be? Well, I would first of all say that uh, President Obama is like a CEO of a company he doesn't own. But at the same time, he is, he has the title of President of the United States of America. And this is supposed to be the most powerful country in the world. And so he, one of the things he did say, not in that speech, but he said that, you know, he has to be pushed by the different groups of people uh, to articulate, you know, their interest. And so we have been very kind, I think, in understanding of the president. But maybe it's time for us to begin to speak aloud and speak with clarity that we want the issue of racism, white supremacy, to be on top of the table and to speak directly to what has happened to black people in this area of the world. And we want that specifically addressed, not along with everybody else's issue, because nobody else, no other group, 
has been the group that were enslaved in this part of the world. And so nobody else has had the exact experience, and we want to be recognized in our specific and exact history. And we want the same commitment to uh, for opportunity and not have black people blamed for dropping out of school or black-on-black -black homicide. We want dropping out of school and black-on-black -black homicide, not making excuses for it. But when you have a population that has twice and three times and four times the level of unemployment that everybody else has, then you've got a population that is extremely frustrated, demeaned and frustrated. And so you're going to see negative behavior, especially when the system gives that population drugs and gives that population guns. So we're going to see that, but we need to tie all of that in its relationship to the dynamic of racism, white supremacy. But as long as we do not talk about specifically racism, white supremacy, as long as we even hide behind talking about police violence, the police in every society are the first-line defenders of the state. If the state is racism, white supremacy, then that's what the police carry out. And that's what we see police all across the country carrying out. Carrying out the necessity of a system of racism, white supremacy. And that necessity is kill black men. And until we begin to talk about it in those clear and concrete terms, I think the problem is going to continue. Uh, if folks uh, have questions you would like to ask Dr. Welsing, feel free. Give us a ring. The number to dial 760-2444. Seven six seven six. The code is five six four nine four three pound. Press star six if you would like to get a question in to Dr. Welsing. Anything come up uh, that you would like further detail or something else you would like to hear her views on. Uh, I will share really quick. There was a different news report that came out this week. Uh, this was in uh, Kentucky. I will, oh, excuse me. It was in Nebraska. Sorry, it was in Nebraska. They had a white man. He put a sign up out in his front yard, and it said, Ebola, AIDS, Obama, thanks, Africa. Uh, that was in his front yard, uh, and that was this week in Nebraska. They got a lot of... Uh, attention! Wait, Ebola, Ebola, AIDS. right? Obama, and then at the bottom it said, "Thanks, Africa." Uh, on a big sign in his yard, uh, and some of I think either the white mayor or somebody in the town. This is a small town in Nebraska, but they made him 
uh, take the sign down eventually. Uh, they said that they thought it was uh, racist, and uh, apparently he lived somewhere next to one of the main uh, thoroughfares in this town, and uh, a lot of people uh, who drive through or what have you would see this. But uh, just that general impression, that general sentiment, uh, my suspicion is that if President Obama, the CEO of this company, he does not own, if he had more direct commentary about racism, I suspect there would be a lot more of that. Uh, as well as uh, there was just an armed uh, or a white man who had, uh, I think, 30 to 40 rounds of ammunition uh, and a firearm in, in the trunk of his vehicle who was arrested at the White House this week. I think there would be even more of that uh, if he tried to come out and make any sort of direct commentary on racism, specifically trying to come out and talk specifically about the problems that black people are facing uh, as a result of racism. Um, but. I definitely also wanted to make sure that I got in because I just in terms of just doing a to juxtapose all of the attention that's been focused on uh, these allegations of Bill Cosby's sexual misconduct. Uh, and even if you go back in the end of August and September when it was on uh, Ray Rice and uh, the horrendous domestic abuse, uh, him abusing his uh, now black wife, uh, I have not heard nearly as much attention to Daniel Holtzclaw. Uh, this is uh, an enforcement official in the state of Oklahoma, Oklahoma City specifically. Uh, the report came out in August, right at the end. Initially, he was charged with sexually terrorizing, at the time it was six black females, exclusively black females, and they said at the time, they said, we think it's more, but we're just waiting to see if they're going to step forward now that, you know, this guy has been charged and arrested. We're hoping that more of the victims will come forward. Now it's ballooned to 13 exclusively black female victims. Uh, he, his uh, preliminary trial was this Monday, and uh, they said that there was enough evidence to go ahead with a trial that's going to start in 2015. Uh, Daniel Holtzclaw, he's facing more than 30 counts. Uh, and if he is found guilty, they said he could face life in prison. Uh, for sexually terrorizing 13 black females age range uh, from 17 to 50. And this did not get nearly uh, as much attention. I think you got to see some of the reports on all of this. Uh, what are your, your thoughts on this and specifically this, this not really being talked about at all? Well, I would say that uh, black people and all people should call CNN call their uh, Atlanta office and raise the question, why is this not being addressed? Where is Mr. Holtzclaw? What state is he in? Oklahoma. Oklahoma. I think that uh, that number uh, should be worn out, the CNN number, uh, that uh, people can get from calling information and, you know, and raise that point. Why is this not being, why is this not being given the same focusing? But if, what I wanted to say, the, the women that, uh, Bill Cosby is supposed to have related to, the majority of them are white females, is that right? Uh, that's what I said. That's at least the people that have been prominently featured this week. Yes, they're white females. Okay. Tiger Woods, the majority of them were white females. Yes, ma'am. Now, that brings up the whole point. Historically, 
where black men, even though racism is supposed to have been dealt with at some level, that the issue of black men and white women, that's the, what shall I say, the core of the concern about white genetic annihilation. And this is just following in the pattern of when black men were lynched and castrated, if they thought about thinking about wanting to have a relationship with uh, a white woman. And I have said that, see, people, if you walk down the street and you see a black man and a white woman, or you see several examples of black men and white women, most black people will say, well, look at the progress. But I say simultaneously you are seeing an increase in the number of black males who are being killed by white men. And that carries, you know, even includes the theme of O.J. Simpson and his white wife. Uh, and, and the whole discussion in the book Turner Diaries by, it wasn't with William Pierce? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Wow. So I think that that's what we ought to think about, and we ought to think about Nazi Germany. In Germany, the uh, Jewish people were Semites of the Jewish religion. Adolf Hitler said they weren't white. And at the point that their Holocaust took place, some writers have said it was at the point that they had the highest incidence of Jewish men marrying German women. And that's when Hitler came to power and said, I'm going to kill 11 million of these people, I don't care about their religion. I'm killing them because they are not white. And this is where this fundamental concern that I say is the fundamental concern behind racism, white supremacy, that is white genetic survival. And so anytime you have large numbers of non-white males relating to white females. I don't care whether people talk in terms of progress has been made or civil rights progress has been made. What we are seeing taking place in front of us is black genocide. If you kill the men of a people, then you are genociding those people. And that's what the Holocaust of the Semites of the Jewish religion was about. Hitler wanted a pure white Germany and Europe. And if Hitler had stayed in power and Germany had won the war, his thesis was, today Germany, tomorrow the world. Wow. I had 
such a chuckle listening to your response there because we uh, we did a book study session on uh, William Pierce's book, The Turner Diaries, and uh, I'm, it is rife. It's all throughout that book, <laughs> raping. Though I would say the two major things that you keep hearing a lot uh, right now, black males raping white women, and they're going to take our guns. Those are like the major concerns of the book. They're going to take our guns. They're going to take our guns. They're going to take our guns. And we're not going to stand for this. A symbolic castration, if you will. And I think you've heard a lot uh, of why I have heard tons of white people. That's what they've been saying the whole time. President Obama has been at the White House. He's going to take our guns. He's going to take our guns. I heard Alex Jones. He was saying that just uh, this past weekend on on one of his uh, programs. President Obama's going to take our guns. Uh, and they, re- that's what they keep reporting all throughout Ferguson. Record numbers of gun sales. Record numbers of gun sales. I've heard that for about the past two months. Um, I get before uh, before I get some of the folks who dialed in who might have some questions. Uh, I definitely wanted to make sure I got in because I think it was last summer you were on the program. It was right after the trial uh, where Trayvon Martin's killer was acquitted, and you were on the program and you mentioned uh, marijuana legalization, cannabis legalization, and you were saying that that was something that you uh, wouldn't necessarily support. Uh, and that you think, you know, hey, we get around all of the uh, the so-called drug war and locking up all these black people. We get around that by just saying, hey, we do not uh, participate in any of this drug stuff, uh, that racism is war against black people under conditions of war. We're not going to be intoxicated and high. We're not going to do that. And I can say out of all the time, this is your 25th visit. I can say out of all the times that you've been with us that your comments around this, that is the only time that I heard large numbers of people saying, oh, my goodness, I I don't agree with Dr. Welsing at all. And I can't believe she would say that. And we definitely need cannabis legalization that would work uh, against racism, that would keep black people out of prison. And it has uh, medicinal properties. And I I just don't agree at all. And uh, I know in D.C. that they just uh, passed legislation uh, first this year. They passed legislation to decriminalize. And now they've passed legislation to go ahead and legalize uh, completely, uh, even though Congress, I think they, they might be able to step in and overbeam. But uh, the reports that I've been reading, uh, many folks are saying that they don't think that's going to happen. Um, what are your thoughts on, on cannabis now being uh, legal, just voted on in uh, the nation's capital? Well, I would say the same thing as I said before. In other words, do I want black people to have long prison sentences for using marijuana? No, I do not. It's like if they would simply treat black people in the same way that they treat white people who have small or larger quantities of marijuana, that would be great. But I'm speaking as a physician and as a psychiatrist who has seen the effect of chronic marijuana use. And marijuana in our textbooks in psychiatry and in medicine does alter functioning such that I can look at people, look at their eyes, and tell how much marijuana they are smoking. And what I'm saying is that Calling it medical marijuana is a trick that is being run on black people because black people have high levels of unemployment and high levels of stress. 
that's different than the white population where you might have white people who are, have jobs, they have income, and they are smoking marijuana. They are smoking it recreationally. They don't have the kind of stress that black people have. And so black people are under 24-7 stress from racism, white supremacy. So black people are treating the stress by continuing marijuana smoking. They're in a different ballpark and a different level of use. And it interferes with brain functioning. It affects memory. It affects people's ability to learn and to think coherently. And so I say that by saying medical marijuana is just saying to black people, it won't harm you. Now you're going to be in a Bantu stand removed from the urban centers with gentrification. You're not going to have employment. You will be frustrated, but you can have all the marijuana you want and all the marijuana cookies that you want and all the marijuana bread that you want to eat. You can just stay in a continuing state of being high because we don't have any use for you anymore. And we are bringing in some hard-working Hispanics, and so bye-bye Blackbird. Now, that's my position. And this Washington, D.C. is going to have a Marley brand of marijuana. And that's, in my view, is another trick. Black people like Bob Marley's music. Oh, this is Marley's brand of marijuana. Oh, this is really what I want. Again, in the words of Neely Fuller, Jr., if you don't understand white supremacy or racism, what it is and exactly how it works. Everything else that you think you understand will only confuse you. I just recently saw an article about uh, medical marijuana and when people are tested uh, to see if they have marijuana in their system for jobs. The employer doesn't care whether, well, this is medical marijuana that my doctor has given me. And the employer says, well, marijuana is marijuana. We don't want people with marijuana in their system working for our company. So I'm sorry you don't get the job. Trick, 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 trick. We don't get it. Wow! I just read that. That was in the that was in the Seattle paper this week, where they made a deal with uh, the Marley family so that they can have a Marley uh, brand uh, of cannabis. I just read that this week. Um, again, Doc, she says all the time, reading is more important than watching television. 
Reading is more important than watching television. Please read the paper, read your local paper, or go online, get uh, a source of, of news. It is critical, vital information there every day that you can learn about racism, white supremacy. Just, I mean, you're, you're still practicing, uh, third-generation physician, general and child psychiatrist. The black patients that you uh, talk to, that you are counseling, uh, are any of them coming in where you're seeing that them consuming cannabis is a problem for them? Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. One of the experiences that I had in first year of training doing a residency in general psychiatry many years ago, and uh, I was in a training program at St. Elizabeth's Hospital, residency training program, and there may have been two black physicians training in psychiatry. And we were at uh, St. Elizabeth's Hospital, and the psychoanalyst who was participating in this training session, he was interviewing a black male patient. Uh, it was a government hospital, a federal government hospital at that time, and they had white patients and black patients. And so the... Uh, gentleman that was being interviewed by this white psychoanalyst, he might have been like a 32-year-old, 35-year-old black male, and so the psychiatrist went through the interview, and then he said to the those of us who were in training, um, does, uh, do any of you young doctors want to ask the patient a question? And so... A couple of people asked questions, and I asked the question, how long had he been smoking marijuana? Now, this analyst didn't ask him anything about marijuana. And so the gentleman answered, you know, like, what, six or eight years or something like that. And so after the patient had left the room, the analyst said, how could you tell that he was smoking marijuana. I'd never met the patient before. And I said, because of the way his eyes look. And the patients that I see, I see young black men who are psychotic marijuana smoking, people who could complete college, and their brains are all rattled because of marijuana and whatever anybody wants to put in it. Wow. Wow. I mean, I've had patients who smoke marijuana before coming to the office and Secondhand smoke. I mean, we're in a in a room in my you know interviewing room, and the person has just recently smoked, and if they've smoked enough, I get can get high. You know, start my head starts feeling hazy just because of what they're breathing into the room. Hmm affecting my thinking with what's coming out of their lungs as they're talking for an hour. So, see, again, 
Right. Everything depends on do we understand the situation that we are in. Do we have an in-depth understanding of the situation that we are in? We have 70% single-parent households. We have epidemic levels of male feminization. Every conceivable thing is happening to us. Blood pressure, high blood pressure, diabetes, cancer. And they call them health disparities. Yes, they're health disparities because we have a disparate. We don't have the financial resources that people who classify themselves as white have. We don't have the schools. We don't have the housing. We don't have other opportunities that they have. And this is 2014. See, black people look at the football players and the basketball players and those few people who are making multiple millions of dollars. And they think that's everybody. That's just a handful of people. And a handful of people who are not treated with respect once they get off the field or once they get off the basketball court or once they get off the stage. Take a person like Oprah Winfrey, a billionaire. She goes to a boutique on Madison Avenue in New York or some boutique in Paris, and they won't let her in the door. And I say this is why we have a lot of black entertainers, rap artists, who don't mind calling themselves nigger because they got a whole lot of money. But once they get off the stage and they try to go into the real world off stage and they're not given any respect. They thought the million dollars, multiple millions of dollars were going to give them equal status. It does not. It's just a black man, victim of racism, to be demeaned in a system of racism, white supremacy. So then they end up calling themselves nigger and saying nigger doesn't mean anything. Yes, it does. Mm. Context of white supremacy. Uh, again, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. Uh, folks would like to dial in. The number again, 760-569-7676. And the code is 564943-POUND. Press star 6 if you have a question for Dr. Welsing, third generation physician, general, and child psychiatrist 
uh, before I hit the first caller, uh, just commentary right there reminded me talking about these uh, athletes where they get reminded. Uh, it was uh, Kellen Winslow. He's a Hall of Fame football player. He's retired. Uh, his son even uh, became an NFL football player. Uh, he wrote a forward <clears throat> to the book in black and white race and sports in America by uh, Kenneth Shropshire. He's a black male. Uh, but Mr. Winslow, Hall of Fame football player, he wrote, uh, the reality came calling after a nine year career in the National Football League filled with honors and praises. I stepped into the real world and realized in the words of Muhammad Ali that I was just another nigger. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> when they had this again, Hall of Fame. NFL player. He is retired now, but made lots of money and all this. Won a Super Bowl, the whole nine, and uh, just another nigger. When uh, I stepped into the real world off the field, I was just another nigger. And I told people in my institute it doesn't matter how you spell it. Whether it's N-I-G-G-A, whether you spell it niglet, nig, it doesn't matter how you spell it or how you say it or the context in which you say it. I say that it is the fourth most important word in the English language in the system of racism, white supremacy. The first three important words are racism, white supremacy. The fourth most important word is nigger. Because in a system of racism, white supremacy, there has to be a nigger. Otherwise, what is white supreme over? And that is the category that black people are in. And if we would face up to the fact of a system of racism, white supremacy, which is no different than facing up to, if you're on a football field, facing the fact this is not a tennis court. This is not a golf course. This is a football field. The game of football has certain rules and certain goal objectives. To win in football, you have to know how to engage in these kind of plays. But you have to understand what exactly and specifically is the game that the field is for or the basketball court. You don't go on the basketball court and play football. You don't go on the basketball court and play tennis. Likewise, you don't play basketball on a tennis court. What exactly is the game? What exactly is the power dynamic that is at play? And the power dynamic of racism, white supremacy, the system of racism, white supremacy, determines every single thing that takes place in a black person's life. 
I just got through talking to a a person, not today, when I was in my office last week. And this man called long distance, and he said that he had been in the Navy. And he'd never talked about his experiences in the Navy during the Korean War. And he said that he was on this ship. There were very few blacks. And he woke up one morning and three white, whatever, seamen were urinating on him. Whoa. And calling him nigger. And he said he was never able to talk about the shame that he felt. Whoa. Wow. That, uh, number one, that's reminding me too, because that's still getting to the genital level, which you talk about all the, all the time. That's right. Crest theory of color confrontation. Uh, and that, uh, Madiba, Nelson Mandela, he makes the same report in his autobiography when he was, uh, in greater confinement for those, uh, near three decades on Robin Islands that the white, uh, officers or white guards that they used to urinate on them. Uh, we just, Finished reading that uh, right at the beginning of the year, but he makes the same uh, report that they used to urinate on them. Uh, and he made it sound like this was something that wasn't a one-time thing, that this used to be a routine activity uh, where they would go and urinate uh, on the black inmates. Uh, Madiba, you can read that long walk to freedom for folks uh, who uh, are listening in. It even reminds me of the report that uh, you told us you were talking to some of the black uh, I guess these are older black people now, but they were kind of in that first wave of black students that were uh, when they were quote unquote integrating schools, uh, where yeah. it was a black female yeah. where they yeah. put her yeah. head in the toilet. Um, wow. Um, wow, I never, it's like I've never heard that about Mandela. It's long walk to freedom. <laughs> Again, reading is more important than watching television. You say that all the time, but yes. Yeah, right. I'm absolutely stunned. I'm stunned. I mean, just just for routine. See, that's profound. Now, for all the people who finished reading that book, and I didn't read it, but that is profound. See, now, black people shouldn't be, I'm going to be talking about that, believe you me. See, let some person who classifies himself as white and is talking about Bill Cosby's sexual indiscretions. I don't care if it's a hundred white women. Let a person who classifies himself as white that's in the medium explain that. Explain this. White guards urinating on Nelson Mandela. Explain it. 
See, explain it. Wait a minute. You want me to comment about Bill Cosby? First, you explain why white prison guards in South Africa would urinate on Nelson Mandela and the other black prisoners. See, before we have another thing to say about Marion Barry's indiscretion, Bill Cosby's 800 white women, Tiger Woods' 700 white women, you know I'm exaggerating to make a point with those numbers. Yes, ma'am. But you explain this, and then we'll talk about Bill Cosby. Now, if you can't explain it, then let's go on to another subject. Mm. Just so folks don't think uh, Gus is making up things, <laughs> making up lies on recently deceased Nelson Mandela. Again, Long Walk to Freedom, uh, it reads... Uh, the docks at Cape Town were swarming with armed police and nervous plainclothes officials. We had to stand still chained in the hold of the old wooden ferry, which was difficult as the ship rocked in the swells off the coast. A small porthole above was the only source of light and air. The porthole served another purpose as well. The warders enjoyed urinating on us from above directly from long walk to freedom uh, so you can check that out and i would encourage and i don't really hear people reference that they talk about a whole lot of other things the white guards that he was friends with and what have you but i don't hear people reference that when they talk about uh long walk to freedom uh, and the many profound statements that he makes uh in the book but uh anywho uh let's see the person that uh dialed in uh last four digits eleven eighty four eleven eighty four did you have a question for dr francis cress welsing your line should be open oh uh, yes yes greetings dr welsing greetings uh greetings Gus and all uh, people nice to hear your voice again good to hear your voice again uh, that that right there what you just said that's that, that just really me to the war hearing that you said it was the war to make it so bad <laughs> wow uh what would you what would you see in the motivation well this is what I, i'm going to make a statement about it then you can uh give me your your view on it um is in like in the system of white supremacy one of the major things that they do is they seek to torture you. Uh, Levi, I'm going to have to have you repeat it because his voice is dropping off. Oh, okay. okay. I got you. If you could speak up, that would help too, sir. Okay. In the system of white supremacy, it's, it's always a, it's a pretty constant theme that they uh, they seek to abuse you and, uh, you know, give you mental anguish and things of this nature. That's still like one of the major things that they seek to do is to, uh, in my opinion, like induce pathology in the people that they victimize, you know, torture, 
and, and, and shame. The one thing I've been working on in my mind for a number of years is that it, there's a high level, I, in my opinion, there's a high level of shame in the black community that keeps us in, dis, in dysfunctional patterns and stuff. Okay. That seemed like a, a statement, but uh, his statement was, it seems like under this system that there's a lot of uh, torture and direct attempts uh, to shame uh, black people uh, under the system of white supremacy, that that seems like something that's done deliberately uh, under this system uh, and to have a, a long, long lasting repercussions uh, of that torture and, and shaming. Uh, and I guess he wanted your thoughts on that. Well, I say that the system of racism is the highest form of torture and the highest form of violence that has ever been conceived. You see, and it is designed to demean and to shame and degrade. That's what the system is all about. Uh, and again, I say that the people who classify themselves as white, their vulnerabilities are, number one, they're a tiny minority on the planet, fewer than one-tenth of the people on the planet. Number two, they are genetic recessive, and on a planet where the overwhelming majority of people, nine-tenths of the people, are black, brown, red, and yellow. And all of the people who produce skin melanin can cause white genetic annihilation. So people who classify themselves as white do not feel good about themselves. And so they do whatever is necessary to demean, to degrade, to kill, to shame. And so the answer is not for black people to hate white people in the reverse. What black people have to do is, number one, understand exactly and specifically what is happening. And that system that of torture, shame, demeaning, and degrading over a period of centuries destroys black self-respect and black self-concept. And so if black people begin to understand this is what has happened to us, we have been taught to hate ourselves, demean ourselves, and degrade ourselves. What we are going to do is heal ourselves through our understanding of specifically of what we're dealing with. We are going to heal ourselves, and we are going to have a completely different set of behaviors in relationship to ourselves and to one another that is going to give us power as a people, people who respect themselves already have power in their hands, power in the power of self-respect where it doesn't allow you to blind yourself to reality. You see, if you don't respect yourself, you can deny reality. You don't want to face who you are because you don't like who you are. And so once that is changed and the person arms themselves with 
high levels of self-respect and high levels of respect for one another. Black people having high levels of respect for one another, how we relate to one another. It'll be no such thing as black people killing each other or black people being discourteous and disrespectful to each other or black people cursing each other or black people name-calling each other. That will be out. People will look at that, oh, that's something that people did a long time ago under the conditions of racism, white supremacy. Black people don't do that anymore. You see, people will be saying, I don't know when, when anybody has heard of a black person killing another black person or a black person using and selling drugs to another black person. Uh, we had a lot of folks that dialed in with questions, so I'm going to try to get one question for everybody, make sure I can hit as many folks as possible. I hope that covered your uh, comment. Appreciate hearing from you, 1184. Uh, the person, matter of fact, I'm not sure I include this because uh, I thought it's not just in there one time that Madiba talks about white officers urinating on him. It's not just in there one time. It pops up multiple times. Uh, this passage, he writes, uh, Van Rensburg, this is one of the white wardens was vindictive in large ways and small when our lunch arrived at the quarry and we would sit down to eat we now had a simple wooden table van rensburg would inevitably choose that moment to urinate next to our food i suppose we should have been grateful that he did not urinate directly on our food but we lodged a protest against the practice anyway uh, you can check that one out. But I thought it was in there multiple times. Well, this seemed like routine. This was not a one-time thing, but this was something that they seemed to enjoy doing to humiliate and degrade them on a regular basis. Uh, and that also reminded me, I think if folks remember the report from last year, just so people don't think that this is something that's antiquated and stopped, uh, the report that came out last summer in Virginia where it was a child, uh, a 12-year-old, I believe, black child in Virginia, where some white man uh, got in a costume and threw a balloon filled with urine on him uh, and drenched him and called him a nigger. This happened last summer, right while the whole trial for Trayvon Martin's murder was going on. But I remember we played the audio report and uh, discussed it, but this was summer of 2013 where this happened, where this is not a uh, isolated incident uh, in one of the ways of racism, white supremacy being practiced against us. Uh, the caller at 4942, 4942, did you have a question for Dr. Welsing? Uh, last four did. Oh, yes, ma'am. We can hear you. Just speak up. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Good evening to you guys, to Ms. Welsing, Dr. Welsing, Stephen, and Melissa in college. Um, Dr. Welsing, I actually live in Charlottesville, and I was wondering what your take on, in particular, the timing um, between the Jesse Matthews case and the Hannah Graham, the missing UVA student this summer and the timing, in particular, of this report from Rolling Stone being released right now, even though that incident uh, supposedly occurred two years ago. So I was just wondering what your take on that is, and I'll meet my line. 
Okay, uh, can you repeat that? It's like somehow it's not coming through clear to me. Uh, she said, what was the name of the, the last person you said that was recently released? Can you give me his name again? She may have hung up. Four, she said she muted her line. 4942, if you're still there, can you just give me the name of the person you said that was just released that you were comparing to Jesse Matthews? I'm not. If you muted your line, if you could unmute, because I'm not hearing you. I know the first part of it, she was just asking about the timing uh, with the big controversy in Virginia around Jesse Matthews, uh, the black male that's been uh, he's in greater confinement, as is my understanding. He's uh, suspected of uh, having either killed or done something criminal uh, with this white woman, Hannah Graham. She was a missing uh, UVA student. Uh, and she was contrasting that with the timing. I just, the last portion, I didn't hear the name. Uh, if you're still there, the caller at 4942. What was the name of the other person? Mary. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, they haven't released her name. The student that apparently came forth with the, to the Rolling Stones paper or magazine or whatever, um, they didn't release her name to use a pseudonym. But that incident apparently occurred two years ago, but I was wondering... Um, what to take of the timing. Um, in particular, like the fact that they waited to charge him with abduction with the intent to defile, I believe, was his charge um, until they found her remains. And then this person apparently talked to a Rolling Stone writer and got his story released. So I was just curious, like, with that timing event overall, you can throw in Bill Cosby, Dan Holt, all of this, like, rape culture. Um, just in particular for Charles Logan, what do you think about that timing? Got it. Okay. She said... Uh, go ahead. Repeat it for me, please. Okay. So Jesse Matthews, the black male, uh, he's uh, in prison right now. Uh, they're looking to charge him with uh, some sort of criminal behavior, perhaps murder. I don't know what the final charges are going to be with Hannah Graham, the white female student at the University of Virginia that went missing. And then they said they found her remains a few weeks ago. Uh, and then they're also looking to charge him, uh, I think, in some other crimes as well. Uh, these missing white women in Virginia. Uh, she said the timing with that incident and then the Rolling Stone report that led to the University of Virginia closing down all of the fraternity. She said that the female who uh, spoke up that the incident that she was talking about happened two years ago, that they uh, responded with shutting these fraternities down, that they are talking about something that happened two years ago. And she just said, if you had any thoughts on the timing of all of this happening uh, right now with Daniel Holtzclaw and uh, the allegations against Bill Cosby and this rape culture uh, that seems to be a central aspect of white supremacy. Well, let me say this, that... It's my understanding that if people don't like the way they look, consciously and or subconsciously, they will begin to degrade the act of sex. Sex is the act of self-reproduction. And if there is disturbance in the way that people think about themselves consciously or subconsciously, I will say that that will spill over into the act that somebody might say, well, sex is for fun. The fundamental purpose of the act of sex is self-reproduction. 
And so we are in a system structure of racism, white supremacy. And I maintain that people who classify themselves as white don't really like the way they look. That's why they want a suntan. That's why they demean the people who already have skin coloration. And so there are disturbances in this system, just like the system is a system of necessary murder and necessary mass murder, and not just murder white towards blacks, but just mass murder, the destruction of human beings in this part of the world and other parts of the world. People who classify themselves as white making mass levels of weapons for the destruction of human beings. And so the individual, uh, the black male who has been charged with killing uh, white co-eds or black co-eds or whatever is a gentleman who I would say, if those charges are correct, that there is a level of emotional disturbance, but I say put it all in the context of what the system dynamic is all about. That's like these young people, white young people who go out and get guns and walk in a school and start uh, mass killing of people. The system and culture of racism, white supremacy, is the context in which that behavior is taking place. And I say, really, the, those are individual instances that are indicating the influence of the overall system dynamic, which is, you know, we have to kill in order to genetically survive as people who classify themselves as white. We have to kill. That's why we have to have massive gun production and massive gun sales. And if a black man is president, we go out and buy so many guns that it has been labeled the Obama effect. So uh, the system, if, if we understand and we stop talking about a system of democracy and we correctly label it a system of racism, white supremacy, a system for white genetic survival, white genetic survival on a planet where the vast majority of people are colored people, and those people are genetically dominant in terms of skin coloration, that it of necessity to survive has to kill. And especially if there's not a conscious recognition of that dynamic within the system. In other words, the denial of racism, white supremacy, is the number one mental health problem in this area of the world, and I would say throughout the world. The denial of racism is the number one sickness. And people who classify themselves as white 
are the primary deniers, but then black people begin to deny the system because they are afraid of how people who classify themselves as white will react towards them if they bring it up. And so this system that we're talking about influences disturbance in sexual activity and it influences disturbances in individual people of a willingness to kill. That's like if you turn on the television at any given time and and look at the kinds of stories that are being projected. It's like murder, 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 killing. Killing, killing, killing. And then somebody will have, or violence, or looking at the games, the video games. Killing, 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 killing. And then somebody will say, oh, why did that child have that gun? So I say it's very, very important to be able to look deeply at the, what the system and culture is about and then try to understand an individual's behavior within that system dynamic. And again, the, the murderer in Virginia, the person who's been charged, I don't know what his family history, what his story is, what experiences he has had, if indeed he is going around raping and killing women. What is what is his history within the context of a broader system of racism, white supremacy? Uh, caller uh, 4942, did that answer your question? No, she had said she admitted. I just wanted to make sure. Uh, hopefully, that got your question. Okay, I will assume that took care of it. Um, the person uh, who dialed in from a blocked number, uh, caller from a blocked number, did you have a question for Dr. Welsing? Your line should be open. Yes, may I be heard? Yes, sir. Thank you, Gus and Justice, for the program today. Good evening to everyone here today. This is my university to learn how racism, white supremacy operates. I am still learning. Thank you, Dr. Wilson, for being on the program today. It is such a pleasure to speak to you. I could sit at your feet and listen to you and learn from you wisdom for hours with no end. I want to grad congratulate you, Dr. Uh, Welsing, on your Florida AME honoring. Please keep Thank up you. your work and stay inspired. You are saving lives of black people. My question to you, Dr. Welsing, is how do I minimize my loathing feelings toward black people who go to great lengths to make excuses for white people who demean and degrade black people in the workplace. 
Well, uh, see, I would, I think it's very important for uh, all of us to understand how much damage the system of racism and white supremacy has caused is in terms of black self-respect, black self-valuing, and black self-respect. And so you have, you know, we have a huge segment of the population, of our population at this time. First of all, I would say the vast majority of black people don't have the understanding of racism and white supremacy as I am talking about it. Do, do you see, they might think, well, racism is when somebody uses the word nigger or denied you can't go here, you can't go there, and not really understanding racism as a very deep, uh, powerful dynamic that is operative 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks in the year, continuing operation and impacting. If It's just like if a person turns on the television and they don't understand racism, white supremacy, then they don't understand how the television itself is propagating the message of racism, white supremacy. As a matter of fact, the television is one of the primary teachers 24-7 of racism, white supremacy by showing white, 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 negative black image, white, 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 white. Uh, like I think it's a Geico commercial where they have a, a large, overweight black man dancing and acting silly in a store. See, those are demeaning images, demeaning images. And they are placed consciously, subconsciously, deliberately so. And you don't see comparable demeaning and degrading images of white people. It's just like when they show overweight black people and they don't show overweight white people. There are millions of overweight white people, but they don't show them on television. But if you will look, many, many images of black people that they show on television. It might be a news, and then they'll zero in on somebody who's massively overweight because in their thinking, that's a negative image. So the TV is constantly, continuously spewing the message of racism, white supremacy. And so people have been impacted by this. And unless they are working, unless they have the knowledge, wait a minute, I need to cure and help myself heal from the negative imaging that is coming forth 24-7 in the system of racism and white supremacy, and I'm determined to respect myself and value myself and have a positive image of black people. In, in other words, until people are doing that, then the negative image comes forward. And so there are many people who defend, protect, deny the existence of a system of racism and will attack people who want to focus on racism, which is no different than on the slave plantation, do you see, where 
because of the brutalization of the black people and the destruction of their self-image and self-concept and calling the people niggers on the plantation. So that if you have one person who is trying to organize an escape or a rebellion, then you will have large numbers of people who will go and report that to the master. It's just like currently on jobs where you have black people who are snitching on other black people, telling white people, seeking to gain favor with white people by harming other black people on the job. Tragically, that takes place. And so I would say instead of getting angry and just having anger at the other black person, understand the system and how the system cultivates that kind of behavior and decide that you yourself are not going to engage in hate, that you're not going to engage in negative behavior towards other black people but that you're going to practice a behavior code that Nita Fuller lays out where he says stop name-calling one another, stop gossiping about one another, stop cursing one another, stop squabbling with one another, stop snitching on one another for reasons of personal gain, stop being discourteous to one another, stop being disrespectful, Stop stealing from one another. Stop robbing one another. Stop fighting one another. Stop killing one another. And so those are, they may be difficult behaviors to begin to incorporate, but do it one at a time. You see, an understanding like when a minority seeks to control a majority, it's by divide and conquer. And so... It's like training black people, training black people to demean themselves and to demean and degrade one another. And that's why, you know, the system pays millions of dollars to entertainers who will use the language nigger, bitch, hoe, gangster, thug, freak putting that kind of language and calling it entertainment and putting it on a beat, that's like psychological warfare because anybody who is taking in negative language about themselves or images of themselves, images of other people who are a reflection of themselves, are destroying their self-image their self-image, their self-concept is simultaneously being destroyed. So I say racism, white supremacy, plus black self-hate equals black genocide. And so this is going on. So, you know, being aware that great damage has been done to us as black people by the system of racism, white supremacy, and the damage being done is continuous. But being aware of it and deciding that you are going to counter it 
versus being trapped into it by engaging in those behaviors that um, Neely Fuller has talked about. I've added to that list, and I call them the behaviors exercises in black self-respect, exercises in black mental health, exercises in encountering racism. And I've added to that, stop using and selling drugs to one another. Stop throwing down trash where black people live, work, and play. Stop making black children think that as children they can be adequate mothers and fathers. Stop pretending that racism, white supremacy does not exist. Stop believing in welfare and believe in prosperity and do not allow racism, white supremacy to cause division between black, brown, red, and yellow people. And one can also say stop allowing the dynamic of racism, white supremacy, causing friction between different black individuals, one another. But... In other words, if you are aware of the dynamic of racism, white supremacy, then you consciously work to not have conflict between the victims of racism, white supremacy, as you are focusing on the problem that is presented by the system of racism, white supremacy. So does that answer in any way your question? Yes, it does, and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with me and with us. May I, may I ask one more question? Sure. Mm -hmm. Do you plan to lecture anytime soon in Los Angeles, California? I live in Los Angeles, and I would like so much to meet you in person and hear you in person. Well, you know, you have to have an invitation to come. So it's not like, okay, I plan to, you know, go someplace. If uh, I receive an invitation to go and that could something I can work in my schedule, I try to do that. One more. May I ask one more? Um, recently, uh, Dr. Umar Johnson was here, and he mentioned to uh, me that he was doing a lecture with you. How was your experience with uh, Dr. Umar Johnson? He said that he plans to do a lecture with me? Yes. I don't know anything was, about that. It was... Of five, I think it was you, Dr. Umar Johnson, and three other people. Oh, we were on a program um, at the Plymouth Congregational Church that was put on by uh, a group of people, Carl Nelson and uh, some other people were responsible for that gathering. So that, yes, that did take place. Thank you so much, and um, it has been truly an honor to speak to you. And once again, 
you are saving lives of black people. So please keep up your work and stay inspired because you have well, thank you very much inspired me. Thank you, Dr. Wilson. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. No further questions. Uh, our caller in Florida. Did you have a question for Dr. Wilson? Caller in Florida. Uh, let's see. Is this a uh, retired firefighter in Florida? Did you have a question? Yes, sir. Greetings. Greetings. Greetings, Dr. Wilson. Yes, greetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the question that I have uh, is... Uh, do you think, uh, uh, I guess it's called spanking uh, or beating uh, of our children, uh, do you think it's a, uh, uh, well, I just want to know what's your take on it, uh, being that uh, it's being all of a sudden popularized with the advent of the uh, young fellow that plays for the Minnesota team, uh did that to his child. Uh, what is what's your take on uh, that form of discipline uh, with black children? Well, I I think that uh, I was talking to someone just last night, and this gentleman was talking about how his parents uh, did not spare the rod and spoil the child, and that he and his siblings have, now that they are adults, although they didn't like it when they were children, but that the parents uh, being very firm in terms of their expectations from the, of the behavior of the children that it had prevented them from uh, going to jail and that all of them uh, finished school, had jobs, and were self-supporting. And so I'm not saying that um, certainly beating children, just the word beating, I think that people need to think very seriously about that and that there are other ways and people should learn, uh, you know, develop their parenting skills so that they can talk and communicate to children about the behavior that is expected as opposed to yelling, screaming, cursing children, calling them out of their names. Um, And this is why I have advocated, if I could wave a magic wand, black people would be 30 years old before they married, and they wouldn't have sex until they were married. And I say that even though people are shocked to hear something like that so that the people would end up having uh, levels of maturity as mothers and fathers. They wouldn't be playing with sex and producing children that they are 
in no condition to take care of. And when people are frustrated, see, children, you know, just their normal development place a lot of demands uh, for care on their parents. And if parents are children themselves, or you have people playing with sex and then the child comes and they don't want the child. And so they pass the child around to different people to be taken care of and the child may be sexually abused in different situations. Uh, and so those children, like I tell children when I see them in my office, I don't know any bad children. There's no such thing as a child being born bad. There are children who are sad, and there are children who are depressed. And in large measure, that's because the parents do not know what to do in the parenting process, or they don't want the child. You see, or all the male children who don't have fathers 24-7 in their lives and feel neglected and abandoned by their fathers. And that will set off a chain of reaction of bad behavior in male children. And it's because the children are sad and then the behavior looks bad to adults. Now, I'm making these comments not to blame fathers and to blame mothers. We are in a system of oppression, of racism, white supremacy. Formal slavery was a phase of that system. The system has no intention to maximally develop the black genetic and constitutional potential. That's not what the system is about. The system is just a parallel of what happened in formal slavery where children were, where first of all, the parents were breeders. You breed, you stud with this woman and produce a child that I can then have as another slave or sell to another plantation. Bring that up to date, play with sex, produce a child you can't take care of, turn it over to foster care, and the next step is going to prison. So this is just a variation on the theme of what happened in formal slavery. But by black people beginning to consciously understand what the system of racism and white supremacy is all about and how it works, then they can begin to make other conscious choices about what to do out of their respect for themselves and respect for the offspring that they produce. Do, do you see? In black people, black children, every black child needs to be taught and shown by the deeds of the parents that the parents deeply love them value them and respect them and are there to help them learn 
and develop even under the conditions of war such as racism, white supremacy. You see, but people can't do that if they're playing with sex. And then, you know, I don't want this baby. This baby's not mine. I ain't the father. I don't want him or the mother. I, I don't have time to take care of this baby. I want to go to the movies or, you know, I want to go to the club. I'm tired or <laughs> whatever. You see, and if I could wave a magic wand, black people would become highly sophisticated in their behavior becoming impeccable in terms of what they want to turn themselves into so as to defeat the system of racism, white supremacy, and replace it with a system of justice. See, justice only grows out of self-respect. It's not something that falls out of the sky. It is something that people produce when they have high levels of respect for themselves. A system of racism, white supremacy, is not a system of justice. It is a system of racism, white supremacy, and the highest form of injustice. And so that's a long way to go from talking about beating and corporal punishment. But if parents are mature and they are not overwhelmed and they understand their role of parenting, but the system of racism, I mean, the system of racism, white supremacy, as it engages in war against black people in general and black men in particular, then it makes it very difficult for black men to play the role of husband and father because a man has to have a job to function as a husband and a father. And to the extent that the system of racism, white supremacy, deprives black men of the opportunity to work and work productively, then that's knocking a hole into black family functioning. Even though, you know, everybody will say, I'm a single parent and I'm fine. Uh, that's wonderful. But single parents, females without, you know, can't really teach a male child how to be a man. A male has to teach a male child how to be a man, how to function as a man. And so the system has decreed, no, I would rather spend... $35,000, $40,000, $50,000 putting a black man in a prison cell and having him engage in sexual activity with another male or get HIV than to have him on a job, you know, even when the government is employer of last resort and the man can have a job working on the infrastructure, building bridges and repairing bridges and all kind of constructive work. The system of racism, white supremacy doesn't have that intention, but black male persons could demand 
that they have employment, mm -hmm. that they are men and they intend to work and to know how to work effectively and efficiently, and that's what their intention is. You see, they can demand that. And so I, I say that all of those things are are important uh, in raising children. You see, the parents have to know who they are. And sometimes I say, well, you say the third age should be 30. What should they do between the time they're zero and 30? I say go to school. Right. Go to school. Learn skills. Gain maturity. Go to the military. Now, somebody might say, well, how can you say that? That's war. Well, one thing in the military, it teaches people to learn how to do things they never thought they would learn how to do. Like, they can learn how to fly airplanes and take care of machinery, build machinery, all kinds of things. They can teach. The military teaches certain levels of discipline that many people don't get in their household. You see, where you don't do what you want to do, you do what you have to do. And that causes character development and maturation. Uh, but uh, I just say that uh, the most important thing is not abusing children by not being ready to parent, and I've said many times, uh, you know, people think about a bird. A bird is a tiny animal, and it has uh, a small brain. And I say, but the bird knows enough to build a nest before it lays an egg mm -hmm. with its little tiny brain. It knows enough to build a nest before it lays an egg. So we need to keep that in mind as we are determined to develop ourselves and our people because the system of racism and white supremacy doesn't have that as its intention. The intention is white genetic survival by any means necessary, and that means destruction of black people in general, and black male persons in particular. Right on. Uh, thank you, caller in Florida. Definitely appreciated that question. Um, the caller, uh, last four digits, uh, looks like this might be someone in the D.C. area. Uh, caller 6162, 6162. Did you have a question for Dr. Welch? Uh, yes. Yes, ma'am? Yes, I did. Go ahead. Okay. Hi, hi Dr. Wells. Sitting. Um, I like to understand you. I'm fine. I truly, truly appreciate you. You definitely have been inspirational in my life. I read the ISIS papers when I was graduating from college. I was about 21. I'm 44 now. And it definitely oh, wow. influenced me in, in the way that I approach my life. That along with a lot of other readings. And um, mm. it, it can be frustrating sometimes to 
be a person, a person of African descent who has this knowing about what's really going on and have to interact and deal with people who you love and care about who, who really don't. Um, but that's just a, a comment. My question is in raising children. I have children, and, of course, I tried to, you know, I kept them away from TV. I can't always block it out. A lot of my views are radical, and so... I would have to fight, you know, family members and everywhere else that they went to maintain what I wanted to do with my own children. Now that they're older, my question to you is, what things do you recommend <clears throat> for, um, you know, instilling a knowledge in children about the system of um, white supremacy? What things can you do so that they're not as victimized? My children are victims to the system. You know, I have to be honest about it. No matter what I've put in them, they're at an age now where rebellion has kicked in and, you know, they're influenced by what's going on at the school. And I was not able to homeschool them and, you know, do some of the things that I thought could protect them from some of the outside influences. So I just wonder what you think can be done. And then also my second question is, what do you recommend for adults, not just for the children, but for adults in this world. It's kind of like going up against the tide. You're able to see all the things that are going on, all the subliminal messages. You're very aware of what's happening, but you don't, you feel almost helpless. That's why I asked about children, because from a, many years ago, I realized I can't do a whole lot in my community because my first responsibility is to my children and to raise them to be, you know, the conscious thinking adults that I want them to be, but I also, you know, deal with racism. I now work in the workforce and, you know, and the, the self-love that I have, of course, bring, makes me a target many times. I'm, I'm very perplexing to the white people that I work with because there's so much self-love going on with me that I almost am instantly targeted. I've been dealing with this my entire professional life. Um, so I just wanted to know your thoughts on that, too, as adults. In this society, you know, one of the things they taught us in school was, you know, to really focus on entrepreneurship and building your own, um, building your own enterprises, and that, that alone is the, is the mission. And that's kind of what I instilled in my children, to always have something that they created where they're bringing their own income and not subject to the whims of other people in terms of, you know, making a living in the world. But I, I hope that explains kind of what I want you to speak on. Okay. What, uh, what I will say is, you know, being patient with yourself. In other words, as we look out and we see everything that is happening in the system, one can get a sense of being overwhelmed and frustrated. But if you say, okay, you know, it's like take 10 deep breaths and decide I'm going to be as calm as possible and I'm going to be as patient as possible with myself and with my children. I tell black people many times if there's a Tai Chi class in your area, see if you can get into a Tai Chi class because the racism is like 24-7 bombardment 
and stress. And so the Tai Chi, because of those slow, steady motions, and it's not strenuous, that it kind of can help the nervous system become more calm. And so it, in relationship to your children, do, do you see, it's like you be as calm as possible. And, you know, as a parent, you have to be self-respecting and you have to be calm and they have to know that you are serious about the things that you tell them to do. But to the extent that you can be calm and patient with yourself and and with them, it doesn't mean that that's going to always be possible, but you strive towards that. And see, even one person doing one small thing, so you don't have to look at yourself in terms of, I've got to change the whole world. This is one black person, one unit of an individual decide. I'm, I, first, I understand. See, we're in a new phase where we can now understand specifically racism, white supremacy. We're not saying, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? Why would they do this? No, we can say, well, now we have enough information to understand exactly why people who classify themselves as white feel that they need to do certain things. And it's like having a, a concept like a chessboard. And so we're on the black side of the chessboard, they're on the white side of the chessboard. And they're doing what they feel they need to do for white genetic survival. And since that victimizes us and is injurious to us, we have to have a counter response. And that mm -hmm. counter response, the platform is that our respect for, first of all, our understanding racism and white supremacy and our respect for ourselves. And so, you know, talking calmly to your children, you know, reading to them, doing things that you feel will help them. Do you see what I'm saying? Also recognizing, well, you know, I need time to relax, and which is why I try to throw in Tai Chi or something that is really calming to the nervous system. And you say, okay, if I can do one small, if a, if a black person just says, I think what I'm going to work on right now is not gossiping, that that is an act of black mental health and black self-respect, I'm going to work on not gossiping. Do you see, or even put on the wall the list of behaviors uh, so that, you know, talk to the children. We, we're going to strive for these things, not squabbling with one another, not name-calling one another, uh, not being discourteous, not being disrespectful. You see, just put a, a big list on the wall. We are working on these behaviors, but not where you're hammering the children about it. This, but you put it on the wall. These are the things that uh, we think are of value and that are going to help us respect ourselves, love ourselves, value ourselves. Uh, we're going to work on 
on these things in addition to school lessons, etc. Do, do you see what I'm saying? And, you know, mm-hmm. being patient with yourself and understanding. Like I said, if a person decides I'm not going to be discourteous or disrespectful to another coworker to the extent of my ability, even though the behavior is reflective of their being victimized by racism, white supremacy, or whatever. You see, but it's like... You take your understanding of people who classify themselves as white. Like I've told patients, you've got to think that you have a, a army camouflage uniform on when you go to work, that the situation is like going to war. And how you're going to conduct yourself, you want to keep your job, but in other words, you are aware there's an enemy force in the environment. Mm-hmm. And how are you going to best handle that? See, when you have one expectation from people, you think they ought to be acting this way and they're acting in another way. That's a shock, but it's and so... You are anticipating. Not, it's not being paranoid. It's just anticipating. I know what situation I'm in. First of mm-hmm. all, I'm in a system of racism, white supremacy. This is where a lot of this behavior is coming from. And my methodology of fighting that system is me being aware of what the system is and valuing myself, how I relate to myself, how I relate to my children, how I relate to other black people. You see, with the determination, this unjust system is going to be replaced with a system of justice. So you're saying to have have that in your mind that it's going to be replaced. I'm sorry? So you're saying to have that in your mind that it's going to be replaced, that the system is going to be replaced. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. That's why that's why we're talking about it. That's why we're thinking about it. We understand this is an unjust system on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Understanding the creative force in the universe made black people the mothers and fathers of everybody on this planet. Mm-hmm. Now, racism, white supremacy has come along and it has produced an extreme distortion, not just in the weather, <laughs> but in terms of the social environment and what it teaches and what it emphasizes. It doesn't emphasize that human beings are of value. It emphasizes killing human beings, giving human beings disease, giving them drugs, telling them marijuana is medical. (laughs) You see, so the system does have to be replaced, and we're the parent people of the planet, And we are going to 
change this situation. And we don't have any time to hate people. We're not about that, but we will be about understanding and countering behaviors with behaviors that reflect self-respect. See, that that alone, I think, uh, is going to have a very profound impact on the system. You know, where black people refuse to demean and degrade themselves and one another. Like the Washington Post had a big series, The N-Word, and then it had, you know, interviewing a number of black people and then some black people saying that the word doesn't mean anything and, you know, all of that kind of nonsense. And by black people just understanding, no, the word nigger means something. That's why people are paid a lot of money, so-called entertainers. They're paid a lot of money to use that language to counter black self-respect, to destroy black self-respect. You see, but understanding these things, and then the person just saying, now, in my own small way, let me see what I'm going to do. Well, this is what I'm going to do this month, this year. This is what I'm going to do. I may add to that, change that, but I'm going to be doing things that are going to enhance my self-respect, teach my children to value themselves, teach your children that most black is most beautiful. All the colors are fine. See, this is a critical war that has to be won. Black people understand most black is most beautiful. As opposed to what the system of racism, white supremacy teaches. All the colors are fine. But most black is not going to be demeaned and degraded in the minds of black people. That that's the thing of the past. Amen. Uh, appreciate that. <laughs> caller uh, DC area. It's great to hear that response. Um, our caller uh, New York area. Caller in the New York area. Did you have a question for Dr. Welsing? I do. Good evening, Dr. Welsing. Good evening. Um, I just want to say that um, you were talking earlier about the Navy person being urinated on, and I just mm-hmm. want to point out that um, I believe the following is a part of um, part of that behavior, which is I think it was homoerotic or sexual deviant behavior. But the following elements that I consider being white pathology that is perpetuated on us include sex, sexual deviant behavior, drugs, they go hand in hand, um, violence, and subjugation. It seems like there always has to be a nigger, like you said, somebody 
um, somebody of power and somebody who doesn't have any power. And what I'm saying is, um, you know, these things are perpetuated on us, and I think these things cause us to have an effect on our soul um, and the essence of who we are. And as a result, when that is affected, um, like you said, we throw down paper in our community. We have no self-respect. We can't be parents. We can't be daughters. We can't be mothers. Um, you know, and as, as a person who has been a victim of these things in the past, and, you know, I'm in the process of um, getting myself together and getting my self-respect back, how do we heal those core issues, um, the core traumas of things that have happened to us be, um, under the system of um, racism, white supremacy, those, those, those things that are deep in the soul that always come up um, and, and, and interfere in, in functioning? Well, you know, I tell patients in my office that every little baby that is conceived and every little baby that is born is of value second to none, of the highest level of value second to none, and that the little baby is born into a situation that it has no control over. And so many things can happen to the little baby that will begin to distort how the baby thinks of him or herself. So that the baby, if the baby is mistreated or mishandled or abused in any way, then the baby begins to not consciously, but subconsciously internalize, well, I must not be of value. Or they don't love me, and so I must be no good. Or this has happened to me, or they allowed this to happen to me, and I must not be of any value. And then the child begins to reflect those things that are going on in the brain-computer. But the child was born having value second to none, being beautiful second to none. And so I tell people they have to, you know, whatever negative thing has happened, they were not deserving of that experience, but that experience can come depending upon what the larger structure of the social environment. You see, racism, white supremacy is not a system that validates the human being. That's why it can spend more money for killing human beings all over the planet, destroying homes, destroying housing, putting people in pain and desperation as opposed to using the same money in making certain that everybody is housed and clothed and has shelter and is being treated with high-level value. And then those people go on and create the answers to the problems that are on the planet. 
they see the system of racism and white supremacy is not doing that. And that's why it has to be replaced. You see, but for the person, any, any harm that was ever done to a baby, like the person has to, they have to reconstruct the pattern of thinking, but patiently, patiently, patiently. You see, I'm going to be working on it's just like a person teaching himself another language. I'm going to teach myself the language that I am of value second to none. My parents, being victims in the system of racism and white supremacy, were not able to teach this to me. Tragically, maybe their parents were not able to teach it to them. And if we go back a few more generations, we were in formal enslavement and people being beaten, sexually abused, mutilated. And so they didn't have the opportunity to experience and to learn that. But seeing yourself, I'm going to help myself heal and to the extent possible. I'm going to help produce the correction that this society, this societal dynamic that is local, national, and global, that it's changed. And see yourself as a self-respecting unit of power that ever so patiently can make that change. Does that make any sense? It does. Thank you. Um, just one last question. Do you know of any good therapists in the New York City area? And if you do, can you um, let me know? Okay. Right now, I don't really know, but I would just say uh, contact uh primary care doctor, ask a black primary care doctor uh, to refer you. You know, we don't really have all the psychiatrists that we need. And we don't really at this point have a lot of psychiatrists that really understand racism and white supremacy and are able to discuss in depth the kinds of problematic dynamics that take place within that system context. But ask your primary care doctor. You can give me a call at the time and ask me if I know of anybody. If I've discovered the name of somebody, I would be glad to share that. Okay. How do I get your phone number? Uh, my office number is 202 202 Okay. Eight two nine zero four three zero. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, the caller at one three eight eight. Caller at one three eight eight. Did you have a question for Doctor Welsing? Your line should be open. Yes. Um, thanks for taking my call. Didn't think I would get through. Um, good evening, uh, Doctor uh, Welsing. Good evening. I have I have a couple of questions, um, and you kind of touched on a little bit of it with the uh, previous caller. Um, 
I have two little girls, one's five and one's ten, um, and both of them are different complexion. My five-year-old, she's real light-skinned, and um, I think she's kind of getting the sense that she is of a different color because she, she, she attends a school with, you know, some whites and blacks. So one day she came home and, and said, um, I'm light-skinned, and she said something about my, other little, my, my little girl, was who's ten months, and she said, uh, "She's uh, brown." So she understands there's a different color, but I still mention to her that she's black. But um, my question is, I I try to you say you say self uh, images is is well, you, you talk about self images is is powerful and the image that we, you know, that, that my, my little girl, she gets from school or just her surrounding, you know, all the little Disney characters, you know, she likes all the Disney characters, which are all white, but she seldom talk about Tia, the, the darker one. But um, I'm trying to figure out, do you know of any programs, children's books, that you can, um, you know, show with young girls so they get an image and have a self, you know, love themselves. I, I, I tell her I love her all the time and that she's beautiful, things like that. But the images that she sees throughout, you know, you know, her interactions in school and things like that, I think is, is kind of, you know, weighing in on her. And um, trying to figure out, do you know any, any books or anything, anything like that? Well, see, I think that by talking to the children relative to what they are able to understand. But see, little children at very early ages um, begin to understand what is being said about skin color in the society. Do you see? So it becomes very important, like let's say black parents who don't want to focus on understanding racism will say, oh, I, oh no, to, to focus on color or something like that, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't believe in that. But white parents, like, I don't know if you saw the series on C&E and Anderson Cooper, where he had a program about young children and what they learn about skin color, and they had yeah. three-year-old white children. Did you see that program? I saw part of it, bits and pieces of it. Okay, so a three-year-old white child knows that black skin is somebody that he doesn't want to be friendly with or that he thinks is ugly or that he thinks is bad. And then black children of a slightly older age also have the same thinking. And so in talking to your children... Do you see, you tell them that all of the colors are fine, but one of the things that is, you know, that they will hear people talk about in this society is that they will say that darker skin is not as beautiful as lighter skin. But see, the parents have to say, but we do not accept that. Uh-huh. Do, well, do, do you see the children? What do the parents think? Because, see, black people have deep color skin, skin color sickness. Yeah. 
And so the recognition of that and not, you know, feeling ashamed to acknowledge that this is teaching and training in the system of racism and white supremacy. If you're black, you're black, brown, stick around, yellow, mellow, white, right. People of color all over the world who have had contact with white people have been taught this message, and they're taught that message because the more color you have, the greater your genetic potential to cause white genetic annihilation. And so you talk to your children. All of the colors are fine, and black and the darker skin is beautiful. See, but the children have to feel that the parents actually believe this. And you say, because this is a big problem in our society, mother and daddy will be talking to you about skin color over and over and over again. Or if anybody says anything to you about skin color, just come home and talk to us and we will sit down and talk about it. In other words, this is not something that we are nervous about or that we cannot talk about. Do you see, but family members have to sit and talk or parents have to sit and talk and, and try to look clearly and objectively. What are the attitudes about skin color in our family? What do people actually think? Let's look at it and think about it because we want to be able to teach our children to value their skin color and that they are beautiful and that there is nothing wrong with most black. Do you understand what I'm saying? But what the parents feel, it's just like if parents are comfortable thinking about sex, then they can talk to their children in a comfortable way. But talking about skin color is more difficult than talking about sex. Yes, but it's very important to talk about because the messages that are being given by the society are the whiter you are, the more beautiful you're supposed to be, and the darker you are, the uglier you are. You see, but it's like black parents can talk to their children about, well, this is what some people who classify themselves as white, this is what they say, but interestingly, they like to get a, they get, like to get a suntan. Okay. Well, um, one of the things, you know, I talk to my, my daughter a lot about it, and, you know, my wife, she thinks that I'm teaching, teaching her hate. So, and trying to figure out how do you deal with that when you when when your you know the other parent thinks oh it's not right it's not the time to start talking to her about you know racism white supremacy or skin color or things like that because you think I'm teaching her hate and you know and she you know you know my wife she thinks it's no big deal in buying you know frozen Disney characters things like that and and that that bothers me and I try to teach her, hey, don't buy it, you know, get that out of the house. You know, I'll throw it away if she comes back with something that she wants. And because she sees, you know, the movies and they play the movies in, in class and school, things like that. And when I come home, it's like I'm trying to, you know, 
deprogram my little girl from all the the, the white characters and, and tell her, you know, when she go out, oh, Frozen, she wants to go Frozen, but when, and when I talk to her about Tierra, oh, I don't like her. You know, I don't like that one. You know, I want this one, I want that one, I want this one, that one. What about Tierra? Oh, I don't like that one. And, you know, how do you, how do you deal with that when, when you, I, I feel like, you know, she's taken more on to the wider images because there's not enough black images that, you know, I can show her and I don't want her to come to a point where she doesn't, or, or she thinks that she should be of this skin color where, you know, want the long hair, the weave, and, you know, she gets older. And how do you deal with the other parent thinking, oh, it's too soon to talk about all that? Well, you see, I, I think that you want to try to minimize the conflict between the parents. But if parents can come to the agreement that in terms of buying dolls, and if, if black parents say, well, we're black people and shades of black people, and so these are the only dolls that we buy in our house because we value ourselves and we love ourselves. We don't want to be somebody else. We love and value ourselves. You see, but if they're in school with uh, a lot of white children and then there are white teachers that are showing favoritism to white children, which is why if black parents have children at predominantly white schools or schools that have mostly white teachers, it's good if the parents go and visit the school, you see, or sit in on the classes and observe and go to PTA meetings and say, we are very interested as black parents who respect ourselves and we want to know about how the issue of race and skin color is dealt with in the school. And uh, we do know that, you know, where you're not talking in an accusatory manner, you're talking in a manner that uh, where you're expressing what is important and what children are learning, you know, and who is chosen to be the princess in the play. Hmm. And who's chosen to be the king. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Or... Uh, work out uh, a plan where, oh, this year uh, the little white girl or the little white girl boy were king and queen, and next year the little black girl and the little black boy are going to be king. You know, in other words, no, we, you know, because what does that say to our child who is black if the black child is never shown that they are of high value and high importance? Uh, caller, I want to. I definitely appreciated the uh, commentary, but just <clears throat> trying to make sure I get as, as many folks in as we can. I hope uh, that gave you some great feedback you can use with your uh, with your family and 
feel free to uh, chime in on the Saturday call-in because that's something I'm sure other listeners who have uh, black offspring, they would enjoy uh, having that dialogue and, and kind of bouncing out some suggestions that might work out. Um, thank you for the call, though. appreciate that, definitely. Uh, caller uh, in Canada, uh, did you have a question for Dr. Wells? And good to hear from the folks north of the border. Caller, did you have a question? Uh, yes, I do. Thanks, uh, guests, and greetings, uh, Dr. Wilson. Um, yes, thank you. Um, I have a question, and it uh, has to do with it has to do with definitions, um, because uh, uh, I was curious uh, about your definition of the word Semitic, basically. And um, the reason why I ask is because uh, you seem to use the word Semitic in a way that I haven't heard many other people use the word, like in the context of uh, uh, specifically speaking about non-white or mixed-race peoples, like like Semitic Jew is different from a Jewish person. Anyways, I was just curious what your definition for Semitic was. Thank you. Well, uh, I started thinking about uh, what does this word actually mean? I mean, if you go to a dictionary and you look up the word Semite, it will say somebody who speaks the Semitic languages, and those are the languages in the Middle East. And I started thinking, especially because I was interested in what happened in Nazi Germany. And if you read the work of Adolf Hitler, uh, where Hitler says that he wasn't interested in the religion of the Jewish people, that he was going to kill 11 million because they were not white. And so then I started thinking, like a lot of words are given surface definitions so as to avoid the real in-depth definition. And so I said, oh, this word really comes from the Latin semi, which is half. Like the people who are in the area that is so-called the Middle East, those are people who are mixtures of black people and white people who invaded Africa in that area from Europe, white-skinned people. And so it's a term that means the same as our term mixed race. And so no matter, for example, it's like there are black people who, because of racial mixture, look like white people. They could so-called pass for white. Many black families have people in their family who can pass for white. Some people pass and go over into the white group. And so anytime you have populations of white and people of color, then so-called mixed-race people are produced. And I say that if, uh, this is what happened. I mean, if the people, if Hitler says, I want Germany to be pure, I want it to be pure white. I want it to be Aryan. And anybody who has mixture, that's why Hitler 
Then who are your grandparents? I see how you look, but who are your grandparents? And so that's what he says in his book, Mind Pump, that Jews are not white. And the term itself, anti-Semitism, not anti-Judaism, but anti-Semitism. And that fits with uh, a system dynamic that is based on skin coloration. And see, skin coloration is very, very important when you have the particular demographics that exist on planet Earth, where fewer than one-tenth of the people are white and nine-tenths of the people are people of color, black, brown, red, and yellow. And so if there was no emphasis on the part of people who classify themselves as white, as white and no setting up a system based on who's white and who's not white, then because white is a genetic recessive trait, it's a mutation from black, then white would disappear. Because you have an overwhelming number of people of color. And so if people who classify themselves as white want to survive as such, then they have to structure what we have. Black, get back, brown, stick around, yellow, mellow, white, white. Where black has to be at the very bottom because black has the greatest genetic potential to cause white genetic annihilation. So I say this is what this word means. It would be, you know, people used to talk about blacks, whites, and Jews. And I say what they're really saying is black, whites, and mixed race. So you, you can't, it's, it's not logical to talk about two colors and then talk about a religion. Mm -hmm. So it's black, whites, and people who are mixed race. I mean, so th this is not black terminology. This is terminology that has developed within the system of racism, white supremacy. See, like in here in this country, so-called, they will talk about non-Hispanic whites since there are Hispanic people that call themselves white, but white people will say non-Hispanic whites, meaning real white people, because the people in Central America and in South America have a whole lot of color gradations that they go through. But they have clarity about who is really white and who is really, who is, who are the darkest people? And then the people play games about who they are all in the middle. But white, you know, someone who, like, they say non-Hispanic whites, meaning a real white person, not somebody who calls himself white. and it's got some melanin in their skin, but somebody who is really white.
see people who classify themselves as white who are the real white people. They have to know. They have to do this kind of color planning, although it's not talked about openly. But this is what the whole cultural system power dynamic is really all about. Uh, thank you, Dr. Wilson. That's a great answer. <laughs> that, I hope that that shows, gives you some clarity. Yes, thank you. Uh, caller at a blocked number. Uh, did you have a question for Dr. Wellson? Caller from a blocked number. Good evening, Gus. Good evening, Dr. Wellson. Um, Good evening. I was, um, I was just um, thinking about what you, what Gus was reading regarding the Debo being urinated on by the waters in so many uh, passages in that book, uh, Long Walk to Freedom, and also the previous caller from New York brought up the same thing, that white people urinating on other people is deviant sexual behavior. But as always, I, I'm always struck by the relationship, the close, close, un incredible relationship white people share with dogs. And you know, and I'm like, well, maybe it's, maybe it's not deviant for them. Maybe it's just urine marking. Maybe, I mean, dogs do it to show this is my possession or I'm superior to you or I'm really excited and I'm ready to have sex with another dog now. So, and maybe that uncanny relationship that white people seem to have with dogs is something shared on a much deeper level because I don't think they're learning this from dogs even though dogs behave the same way. You know, and, and and you look at it, it's been such a long, all the, in Europe, all those little fountains have white people peeing as water, and and then all the American soldiers who urinate on the Afghans, and then, you know, all the, the, the number one cartoon during Obama's presidential race was some of the white kid peeing on, you know, President Obama's um, sticker. It's just, um, I, I think maybe it's not so much, um, I don't think it's behavior that has something to do with us. I just think it's behavior that has something to do with them. That has something to do with who they are, sorry, what they you. are. <laughs> yes, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's them torturing us, demeaning us, behaving this way towards us. I don't think it has as much to do with us as it has to do with them. You know, just even like their dog behavior doesn't, it just has something to do with them on a purely genetic level, on some purely recognized level that we don't share with them. But I think it's the same kind of marking behavior that you see in dogs. That you just see, I'm today. sorry, your voice is dropping that you see in who? In canines, in dogs, they, they have a urinating, their urinating behavior is a marking behavior. It, it's, it's not to terrorize and demean other animals. It's just, uh, it's just a communication. Well, let me ask you, if someone spit on you, how would you interpret that? Well... 
I would, first of all, I would interpret it as someone who's communicating without, who doesn't use words very much as a primary form of communication, who uses behavior, which I consider a lower form of communication. Are I mean, you it's a still, black person? Are you black? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Okay. So if somebody... And I have been spit on before. I have been spit on before. And you I have, have been spit on before. You, are you saying I have been spit on, spit on? before? Yeah. And you yes. felt that that was what kind of communication? I thought that that was very base communication, very animalistic, something that's not quite on the level that I was on, somebody who is just, just See, lower. It sounds like, it's, I don't know why. Uh, see, it's very important to call things for what they are. Yes. Now, would you urinate on your best friend? Absolutely not. Would you spit on your best friend? Absolutely not. Okay, now those are your values. When you say absolutely not, why would you not spit on or urinate on your best friend? It's just disgusting. Disgusting? Yes. It's this. Well, it would be disrespectful. And it would be disgusting, but primarily okay, so my... you're using words. See, listen to yourself. Disrespectful, okay. disgusting. If you were to do that to your friend, that would be your communication. You disgust me. So I'm spitting on you. You disgust me, so I'm urinating on you. So when a white yeah. person urinates yes, 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 yes. on a black person, they are communicating disgust. They could also kill the person because they are disgusted by the person. They can do any other thing to harm, spit in the food, urinate in the food because they are demeaning the person. So when you say that it is a form of communication, communicating what? Do you see? And after you say all these things, then to say, well, I don't consider it to be a racial statement. When the whole history of black people, the 500-year history of black people with white people in this country, in this area of the world, is to for black people to be demeaned and to be degraded and to be killed at will. To be denied housing, health care, and any other thing that would be life-enhancing. So if a white person spat on you, urinated on you, I would hope that you wouldn't say that it's a form of marking. When dogs do it, they're sort of making friends with each other. 
see you I don't know do you, do you see I say that denial of racism white supremacy is the number one mental health problem in this country when people who classify themselves as white when they deny racism white supremacy they are engaging in denial of what their whole system is about when black people deny racism you see, they are engaging in the denial of their self-respect. You see, when they want to, it's like a black person saying, oh, nigger doesn't mean anything. People classify themselves as white know exactly what a nigger means. And when a black person walks in the bank, the black person could have just come from sitting down at lunch with another black person and having a discussion and saying the word nigger doesn't mean anything. And then they leave that conversation and say, I have to go to the bank. I'm trying to apply for a loan. And they walk into the bank. And the white person knows, here comes a nigger. And that black person is not given the same opportunities to get money from the bank that a person, when the bank clerk or officer sees is white. So I would hope anybody, anybody, if someone urinates on you, if someone defecates on you, to know that you are being fundamentally and deeply disrespected, demeaned, and degraded. Correct. And that person, ch chances are, would stand by and watch you be killed. Absolutely. So the communication would be racism, white supremacy. And then the racism, white supremacy system of values. Nelson Mandela and the other black people that were in the hold of a ship and being urinated on. that they were being supremely demeaned and disrespected. And I'm sure each one of them knew that. Did, did that answer your uh, question, Karma? Or? Well, I think I could have explained myself better, but, but um, I, I think about it so that I can explain. So you might be saying that for a person to do that says something about the person. Correct. It says that they are white supremacists. Yes, and the person for that. Well, do you see what you call hardwiring meaning that people who classify themselves as white do it for a reason. They have white skin. 
and that is genetic recessive, and they can be genetically annihilated by people who have the genetic ability to produce skin melanin. And so in the process of subjugation and oppression, those and other patterns of behavior have a place in that system. It's like calling a person a nigger or a white person putting on blackface or simply denying the person access to housing. or killing the offspring of the person and letting them lay in the street for four hours unattended. All of the zillions of behaviors that mean demeanment. Like a white professor said to me, Dr. Welsing, I hate to admit this, but in all social gatherings, when it's just us as white people and there are no black people present, we are saying negative things about black people. And the assumption is, is that everybody present is in agreement. Incorrect access it. code. Please re-enter your access code. Box. Access code accepted. This conference is being recorded. Q&A session started. Sorry about that, folks. Just a uh, minor interruption. Go ahead, Dr. Wilson. No, I was just saying I said to the person that I understand you're simply talking code about the maintenance of the system of racism and white supremacy. See, this is so important for black people to understand. Not for the purpose of we don't have time to hate white people. But we have time to understand this 500-plus year system of thought, speech, and action. Out of our respect for ourselves to understand it and to see that this behavior on the part of a tiny minority of people on the planet who classify themselves as white, that this behavior comes to an end. But it won't happen if, uh, you know, we say nigger doesn't mean anything or defecating on a person or urinating on a person doesn't mean anything. It means that I have you in such a position of submission to me that I can do anything that I want to do to you. And you can't do anything about it. Mm. I uh, wrecked my library here. I was trying to find uh, the book. This has become such a great commercial for our book study because so many of the texts that got mentioned, we have done our book study session on. Uh, I know Dr. Wells and you had mentioned uh, Richard Williams many times before in his book where he talks a lot about racism. 
uh, in his book that we just finished our book study session on a few weeks back on page 128, Mr. Richard Williams, he writes down in Mississippi during the 1960s, during the civil rights movement, he said, I remember kneeling and praying to God for strength to get us out of there. While I was kneeling, a white boy pulled out his penis to urinate on me. I carried a homemade zip gun in my pocket. As I pulled the gun out of my pocket, one of our youth leaders rushed to my side and told me to put the gun away. I said through gritted teeth, I'll shoot him if he pisses on me. Fortunately, we were able to escape without injury, but I was asked to leave because I promoted violence. That is uh, from Mr. Richard Williams, father of Venus and Serena, black and white, the way I see it. Uh, you talk all the time about pattern recognition, and that is one I have seen that a lot, where black people have alleged that a white person was going to urinate on them in some way, shape or form. And just from all these different people that you've heard, Nelson Mandela, Richard Williams, the patient that you were talking to, this seems to be widespread practice. Um, definitely. I, I had no idea that was going to come up with that. Richard Williams, you can check that out as well. Um, well, see, this is so important because it's the person who classifies himself as white taking their genitalia and using a product from their genitalia, from the phallus, from the bladder, and putting that in a demeaning way on the black person, translate. The white person feels that their genital apparatus that is unable to make color is demeaned. And they therefore feel demeaned. And so they have to in turn attempt to demean the black person. Now that's how I would translate that behavior. You see, which is what racism, white supremacy is. You can make color. I can't make color. I'm not equal to you. So I have to try to treat you as though you are not equal to me. I have to de demean and degrade you. Because now I have gained power over you with my system of racism, white supremacy. See, I can't think of, I mean, the idea of urinating on somebody doesn't even enter my brain computer. Hmm. I, I mean. See, that's just like, in other words, black men... There's no history of black men castrating white men. But there's a major history of white men attacking black men's genitals. And I say it's because white men perceive black men's genitals as being more powerful than theirs because the white genitalia cannot uh, produce color. See, and that, that feeds into the theme, the pregnant theme in the system of racism and white supremacy. Which man has the biggest penis that white people always raise? 
and I say behind that question is the subconscious question, which person has the most powerful genetics? And, of course, the answer is a black person. So it's just we can go back to the, the whole Cosby thing and the Tiger Wood thing. Who do white females say is their ideal mate? Tall, dark, and handsome. So one way of looking at the Cosby thing, all of these white women that are willingly, now they didn't plan to get date raped if that was what was going on, but all of these white women are making a selection of a black man versus a white man. And I'm sure that that doesn't escape a lot of the white people who keep commenting about it. See, all the white women that were chasing after Tiger Woods, white women say their ideal mate is tall, dark, and handsome, meaning tall and somebody who can produce color. Absolutely. Everything is symbolic under the system of white supremacy. Um, uh, we had a couple other folks dialed in. I just wanted to check time-wise. I didn't want to take your whole evening, uh, Dr. Welsing. Like, uh, if uh, if you have other things to do or what have you, I totally understand. But we, I don't know, it's like three, I think three other people dialed in that had questions still. Well, let's take the three and, and, and then call it an evening. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Uh, caller at seven five three seven seven five seven five three seven. Did you have a question for Doctor Welsing? Yes, I do. Um, good evening. Uh, earlier in the uh, program, you mentioned uh, during the sl- during slavery, uh, black men and women were forced to breed with each other to have children, so that the white slave owners could have uh, children to uh, sell. Um, would you consider um, white people forcing black people to have children to be in a sexual sexual relationship? Would you consider that to be a form of rape? So I know you have uh, talked about rape before, about that only the male can uh, force rape on a female. But being that black male and a black female are both victims of racism, do you think having a white person forcing a black man and a black woman as a form of rape and then having the black man and the black female being uh, victims of that rape? Uh, LeVar, can you repeat that for me, please? Uh, the question, uh, was it forcing? Uh, when Do you consider it rape? Uh, forcing black males and black females to engage in sexual intercourse, do you consider that a form of rape? Was that the question, caller? Yes, sir. Right on. You mean doing formal slavery? Yes, during, during that time. Well, I, w- I would not consider it rape in the sense that both the black male and the black female enslaved people were under threat of death. They either did what they were told to do or they could be beaten and killed. So I would not call that rape. 
which would be different than a titularly free individual imposing himself on another. Now, the slave master, Thomas Jefferson, having sex with Sally Hemings, I would call that rape. Because the slave didn't have, the enslaved Sally Hemings didn't have a choice in the matter. Okay. She wasn't free. She didn't have a choice unless she was going to choose maybe to be beaten and killed. So she was being raped. I think his volume might just be a little low. I can hear him. It's just I think his his volume is coming in a little low. Okay, okay. So you just repeat it for me. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, what I was saying was that do you consider um, under being under the threat of violence or death, um, being forced to have uh, children, or being forced to breed with one another? Do you consider uh, the black female and the black male? as victims of forced uh, sexual relations because of the white, white person forcing them to have sex. And so, therefore, do I consider it what? Do you consider that, uh, do you consider the white person forcing the black man, the black female, uh, do you consider that rape? That's, that's what I'm trying to get, get at. So are you, you're saying because a slave master can force one slave to have sexual relations with another slave, are you mm-hmm. saying is the white slave master the rapist? Yes. Well, you could maybe say that in a certain sense, indirectly. Right, indirectly, being uh, being the rapist. You see, but you would have to say indirectly. Right. Okay. That... That took. Did that take care of your question, caller? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Right on. Appreciate that. Uh, the person that dialed in uh, last four digits zero zero six eight zero zero six eight. Did you have a question for Doctor Wilson? Yes, I have a question for Doctor Wilson. Uh, speak um, up. Speak up, please. Oh, can you hear me now? That's a little better. Okay. Um, my question is. Um, what does Dr. Francis Quest Wilson think about uh, black people's relationship towards one another regarding money? Um, from my experience, I noticed some black people and um, 
they feel like if you don't help them out financially, then you are exhibiting that you don't care about them. I just wanted to know what is her reflect, um, what her thoughts are about that, and why do we manifest that behavior? Uh, can you be more specific as to what kind of situation you're talking about? Okay. Um, let's say, um, um, let's say my brother says he needs money to uh, to to do to go out and uh, and buy a car. Okay, and my solution is for him is for me to show him something that he can learn, so he can do, so he can obtain opportunity to gain employment and the thing that he's learned. So therefore, he doesn't have to ask, or come back, come back again to ask for help financially. He could start sustaining himself by learning how to manage his own money that he's getting um, and from employment. But they don't. But sometimes they may not want to hear that aspect. They want to hear the aspect, okay, that you're ready to support them financially, and that automatically gives them the instant for gratification, and that doesn't necessarily give them the incentive for them to want to um, make sure that they could self-sustain after. You see what I'm saying? So I just wanted to know. All right. Let me ask about. you. Let okay. Let me ask you this. Why is this a younger brother? Yes. Why does he think you should give him money? He Did you raise like him or No, he's some father's not around, father was not around, but sometimes he feels like if he is spending his time um with me um, socializing, and a lot of times I'm talking about the system of racism and white supremacy, he, I sometimes feel like he's just using that as an excuse so I can feel guilt. And that's because I have a pattern of helping him out. Um, and I give, I, and I notice that, I feel like, and I notice that when I stop helping him out, he less, the less he wants to actually even listen to anything about racism and white supremacy. So that tells me that sometimes people just pay attention to people's patterns and behavior. And they see that if they just listen to you, hear you out, then, you know, when they want to help in something financially, they'll ask you for it. And you, as the person who was speaking to them um, about racism and white supremacy, you may feel guilty for not trying to help them. But you know, but it took me a while for me to understand that that person doesn't seem like they're trying to help themselves. So at the end of the day, Let the question is really just... Okay. okay. How old is your brother? Um, he's about 24. And you're how old? 28. See, I would, I would say that anytime uh, one sibling says to another, you have to support me when both are adults as opposed to it's one thing if the sibling one sibling is working is the other sibling working no do, do you see and so I would say the older sibling should say to the younger sibling that if I allow you 
to just come and ask me for money and you are not trying to learn how to be self-sufficient, then I am crippling you because you will never learn self-sufficiency. And it's up to the person, it's up to you, the older person, to say, you know, to set your limit. But if you, time after time after time, give to the younger person because they are demanding it and they are refusing to go and work themselves, then you just have to say, well, I'm very sorry. I am not going to cripple you by letting you think that somebody else is going to work so that you can have the things that you want. That's an incorrect communication. You see, but sometimes siblings relate to other siblings in that way. One sibling may get a job, go to school, get a job, and support themselves. The other sibling, well, you've got money. You ought to be giving me some of your money. And I would say, you know, like if the person who is working and has a job, if they say, well, you know, I will give you a gift of thus and so, or I will give you a loan, but there's a limit. And I'm not going to allow you, I love you, I care about you, but I'm not going to allow you to use me. Because then that would make me end up not loving you <laughs> if I fell into that pattern. Like as old saying, never a borrower or a lender be. You see, but one sibling to a, another, you know, no, I, I will, I, I am able to give you out of my budget. I am able to share this amount with you. But don't come back and ask me for money again. You have to get a job. You have to learn how to be self-supporting. Even if it means you have to work six jobs, you have to learn how to be self-supporting. And why not? You see, but if a person is going to end up feeling guilty because I tell patients in my office, for example, if somebody comes and says this might be in some kind of relationship, family relationship or other, if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, I will kill myself. Now, that's a black male relationship, B-L-A-C-K-M-A-I-L. <laughs> and I tell the person, you have to say to the individual, it would be a tragedy if you were to kill yourself but I cannot enter that kind of bargain with you because you will have effectively made me your slave. So if you kill yourself, that will be a very, very great tragedy. But I will not get into that kind 
of an arrangement, an agreement with you. Hello? Hello? I'm here. You, sir. Oh, okay, I just want to say um, thank you very much, Dr. Francis Cross Welsing. Um, you have, you know how to give, like, clarity. I mean, so much clarity that is A to B, right away, right to the point. And you know how to be very in-depth with um, explaining um, how to solve a problem. Um, and, I, like, I just want to say bless you. And you are one of my most favorite and revered intellectual black women I ever met in my entire life, ever heard. And um, I thank you so much. Thank you so much for the clarity that you're able to bring and bestow in my life. Thank you so much. Oh, you're quite welcome, and thank you. Right on. Uh, so then we nab everybody who dialed in, uh, and I'm so thankful we were able to get uh, our last caller in because she's been very helpful in uh, getting some of the faxes through uh, information to you, uh, some of the news reports and what have you. So I'm glad we were able to get her on. Uh, the caller at uh, 8179, do you have a question for Dr. Welsing? May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Wonderful. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate you um, nabbing me at such a late hour. So I will be brief. Um, I just wanted to ask Dr. Welsing, um, besides the ISIS papers and Neely Fuller's books, I'm filling my library up, and I'm just wondering what was the last book you've read, and do you have three books that you would recommend to the listeners so we can minimize our confusion and um, just help us as we're trying to understand racism and white supremacy? Well, uh, let me mention, I'll, I'll mention two. Uh, and this is because of the Ebola Holocaust. I call it a biological warfare Holocaust in West Africa. To read the book entitled A Higher Form of Killing, and it's about um, chemical and biological warfare, and the authors are Harris and Paxman, P-A-X-M-A-N. So that's one, and because of the situation in Ferguson, read the book Breaking Rank by Norm Stamper, where a white police officer talks about how white police officers are trained to think about black men. It's very important relative to everything that is going on in Ferguson and also that's going on in the system of racism, white supremacy, with police officers killing black men and later saying justifiable homicide in one form or, or another. So I will leave you with those two books. But I tell people, read, 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 read. Go in bookstores and browse and look at titles and see what appeals to you so that you're not thinking, oh, somebody told me to read these three or these four, and so then that covers the waterfront. No, get in the habit of reading and reading and reading and surrounding yourself with books. And I mean books that you turn the pages in 
so I hope that will help you. It did. Thank you very much. So uh, the caller, if you're trying to fill up your library, I can remember two others that Dr. Welsing has recommended. Uh, one of them she recommended to me over the summer that I got. Uh, Einstein on Race and Racism by Fred Jerome. Um, she gave high recommendations that folks uh, should read that. Albert Einstein talking about uh, racism. Um, hmm. Einstein on Race and Racism, that's the title. Uh, and one of the other ones, I think she recommends this one in the ISIS papers, uh, and the author has actually been a guest on the program, and it even, it reminded me of the Cosby situation. Uh, the author is Dr. Kenneth O'Reilly. He's a white male. The book is Racial Matters, the FBI's File on Black America from 1960 to 1972. Uh, that's the title of the book. The reason it reminded me of Bill Cosby is because the first time he's at, we've had him on the program more than once. He's written uh, actually several books uh, about racism. Nixon's Piano was another one, uh, if you want to get another title. Uh, but anyway, uh, that racial matters, Dr. Welsing recommends it in the ISIS papers. And when we had him on the program the first time, uh, when we were starting out, I told him that Dr. Welsing recommended your book and, you know, said that any black person that's going to talk about racism, you should get this book. And uh, he said, oh, wow, I really appreciate that. That's great. And he said, you know, uh, Bill Cosby's wife, Camille, who's just on CNN this week after their son was killed, she said everyone should read Racial Matters, FBI's mm -hmm. secret file on black America from 1960 to 1972 you can go back if you listen to that interview in 2009 that was how we started uh he that he that was one of the first things that he said that she recommended that people read his book and apparently she made this comment publicly uh, about you know the importance of this book and racism so those would be two i would recommend that also dr welsing has suggested in the past einstein on race and racism and dr kenneth o'reilly's racial matters awesome thank you very much for sure, for sure. Right. Thank you for those two. Maybe Camille read the ISIS papers. Maybe she did. <laughs> Maybe she did. Uh, I don't know, but uh, I, I haven't been able to find the. I guess I don't know if it was a talk or where he where he heard her make mm. that comment at. But he said that uh, the first time that we were on the program, when I told him that you recommended that book, he said that Mr. Cosby's wife also did. So. Apparently, uh, mm, she has got mm. some information on racism down the road that has, uh, and it might have been what happened to their son, motivated her to be a little bit more serious in studying racism, white supremacy, uh, as a system that, you know, is responsible for the death of their child. Um, exactly, exactly. But uh, outstanding. I'm so glad we were able to uh, cover all of the callers uh, and get... Right at the end of the program, again, reading is more important than watching television. Say that all the time as a recommendation from uh, Dr. Welsing. Uh, any thoughts you want to leave folks with as we uh, get ready to sign out? Well, I, I would like to uh, say about Ferguson, no matter how the situation uh, turns out in Ferguson, that black people will be doing a magnificent counter-racist uh, gesture by not rioting and by saying in its place that this is reflective of the local, national, global system of racism, white supremacy, uh, the system for white genetic survival, and that uh, 
all black people are being encouraged to focus on the system and learn the behaviors that they can engage in that will help to counter the system of racism, white supremacy, most important of all, being able to announce that this is the reality that does exist on, in this area of the world and throughout the world. But thank you, LeVar, for having your program and, and your callers and all. You are to be commended for the kind of material that you seek to cover and share. Thank you. Definitely appreciate that. And, and again, just for all the folks uh, listening in all over the world uh, who just really look forward and appreciate every time that we're able to have you on the program. And uh, I think, as was said earlier, uh, definitely your work, your scholarship, uh, saving black lives and helping us become uh, a lot less confused about the problem we face uh, and giving us that motivation to go out and solve this problem to replace white supremacy with justice. Uh, Please enjoy your week. Remain safe, remain warm, and uh, we will certainly look forward to speaking with you again real soon. Uh, Thank you again for sharing a bit of your Sunday evening. It was spectacular, and uh, thank you. We will hopefully be in touch soon. All right. Thank you. Good night. Good evening, Dr. Welsing. Wow. Thanks to all of the folks who listened in almost four hours. I hope it was a constructive investment of your Sunday evening. Uh, If you, one message, I guess, that should have come through clean, the importance of reading. Uh, I do not go to the movies at all. Uh, I will check out different films. Uh, I'll check out TV broadcasts and what have you, but uh, I think that's one thing that we could do that would be easy. No spending money at the theaters uh, and just investing more time uh, in reading, reading, reading to get a better understanding of racism, white supremacy uh, and catching those patterns. Just as simple, uh, something uh, seemingly as obscure as white people urinating uh, on black people just to see those patterns. If you read uh, where this is something that happens all the time. They even have reports from what is called the civil rights movement, uh, where white people would go out and abuse black people and stomp on them and what have you. And that would be a part of the abuse uh, urinating on a black person. So read, read, read. Reading is more important than watching television. A fantastic habit. And you can learn a lot. There are so many books that have great information on the system of white supremacy. I think Dr. Welsing, she always has a uh, Great info. She's one of those folks uh, when you bump when I bump into people that I think have a pretty good grasp of racism. I tend to uh, if I get access, I tend to be very nosy about what's in their library, what they're reading, what they have read, uh, what are some of the books that they recommend to other people. But I think she dropped some uh, some great ones on us. Uh, I'm in fact, I'm going to nab it right now. A higher form of killing the secret history of chemical and biological warfare. Robert Harris and Jeremy Hexman. I'm going to nab my copy right now. It looks like this was published in 2002. So read, 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 and uh, tune into the book study session. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we will have a set of white filmmakers. Uh, the film that they did, documentary, it's a documentary. Uh, it's White Landia, documentary film on racism in Oregon. Uh, and they talk about the history of racism in that state. Uh, and then make white people specifically making laws to exclude black citizens in the state of Oregon, uh, as well as 
uh, other manifestations of white terrorism in the state of Oregon. Uh, I became interested in having the white filmmakers on the program because uh, a black journalist and some other black residents in the state of Portland, they pointed out, uh, number one, that these white filmmakers, in their view, misled people when they were crowdsourcing the funding for this film. Uh, they led people to believe that black people were making this film, and that wasn't the case at all. That was one issue that they had. The second issue that they had was that these white filmmakers, uh, in their view, uh, stole material that other black people had done on the history of racism in the state of Oregon. Uh, they took this material. They did not ask uh, permission for the content. They just you know, incorporated it into their film project and rolled on. And a lot of the black folks, particularly the black people whose material was stolen, uh, were very upset about this. Uh, and that was the second major problem uh, that they had with this work. Uh, and the white people who did this film, uh, they saw the tweet where I raised uh, some of the concerns uh, that the black residents uh, in the state of Oregon had about this film. And I told them, hey, you are welcome to come on the program and answer questions and try to clear up some of the confusion uh, around this issue. Uh, if you think these are false charges and they said, sure. So they will be with us tomorrow. Uh, again, the film is White Landia and they should be with us. We're back to our normal broadcast time of 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific tomorrow evening. Very much looking forward to that. Um, if you have any gripes, questions, complaints, uh, feel free, drop an email until justice at gmail.com. Uh, we are fundraising. Hopefully folks will invest. If you have gotten any constructive information, racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com. PayPal button is at the top right corner of the page. If you're not into PayPal, drop me an email and we can get you a mailing address. Thanks all for tuning in. We'll see you in about 24 hours. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to call on our ancestors for courage, strength, wisdom, and commitment to our creator-given assignment, replacing the system of white supremacy with justice as soon as possible. Black self-respect. Black self-respect. Context of white supremacy signing out. Thanks all. For tuning in. I'm a victim, no brother. You're a victim. Uh, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned.